right, hello, and welcome to Criterion Deep Dives. Another week, another episode, uh, another film. Um, and so, yeah, this week I have my good friend Pat White with me. Hello, Pat. Ciao, Michael. Ciao. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Preemptively uh, revealing the movie here. Uh, so, so yeah, so Pat, I asked him to come on. And actually, when I first started the podcast, Pat uh, reached out to me and he said, Hey man, if you ever need someone to discuss Italian films with you, I'm your guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, bring me on. So I was like, absolutely. I I love Italian films, and I think that I also, in saying that, realized that like my uh, knowledge of Italian films is probably like a little bit less than I thought it was. There's like a couple directors I really love, um, but uh, at the same time, uh, I do think that like a lot of the movies that we'll talk about. Uh, today probably in relation to this film are do feel very cohesive like it does feel like a like a cohesive style and and like national style of film with the italian yeah, movies definitely yeah so who uh, you said you have like a few favorite directors can i ask who they are yeah just fellini and antonioni uh-huh. so and those guys i've seen a lot of their movies um sure okay but i think like outside of that i realized like oh okay Ita- yeah oh i love italian cinema and then it's like wait what other outside of a couple movies here or there, like what other movies have I actually seen? And then it's like Martin Scorsese. No. Okay. (laughs) We're talking (laughs) about like Italian films here. So, um, but yeah, so those are, you know, I, I've seen a lot of those films, um, and, and really love those guys, but, uh, we're not talking about them today necessarily. We're going back to the originals, uh, OGs. Yeah. And Pat, uh, picked bicycle thieves, a classic film, um, from 1948. So, um, mm-hmm. so you, when you were saying, you know, like, oh, I want to talk about Italian films. Like, what is your background with this? Like, why, why is that like a, a genre of movie that you've seen so much in like this movie in particular? Why did you pick? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I saw this movie the first time when I was, I think like 15, I was a freshman in high school and, uh, I watched it, um, as part of an Italian class I was taking, um, I, uh, it was, was that it was Italian? offered at my high is school. Is it like a high school, high school class, Italian? Uh, yeah, like the language. Like you okay. had to, we, we had to, everyone had to take a language. Most people are just like, fuck it, I'll do Spanish. Uh, and I don't remember what the other option, it was worse. And I was like, I, and Italian was an option. I come from a pretty Italian family. Um, but the, the language is kind of lost in my parents' generation. So like I grew up with like my, my grandma, like great grandma speaking Italian, but my parents, like they, they didn't, they didn't want my parents to learn it, which I think was like a common thing with a lot of like immigrant populations is they, they wanted to become American or wanted their kids to integrate more into society. Yeah. So they intentionally like did not uh, teach them their, their native language, which is kind of sad, but, um, I, I grew up were around your, were it. Your parents, were your parents first generation? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, my my uh, great grandma uh, was born on the boat over <laughs> on the okay, way to America. Okay. Uh, so wow. like, yeah. So she like uh, grew up here, but it was still like in a, a pretty isolated Italian community. So she basically grew up fully Italian, uh, with like Italian as her first language, and then it just kind of slowly reversed over the next couple generations to where right. like no one spoke it at all. Um, so was that, it, it was that in uh, was that in Cleveland? Uh, they, they lived in a few places, uh, and then, uh, my grandparents actually moved up to California for a long time and then 
which would have been great if they'd stayed there. But for some <laughs> reason, they decided to come back to Cleveland. Um, yes. A lot of my family has been in Ohio for a long time, though, uh, like Fairpoint area. They were coal mm-hmm. miners. No, I was interested because I um, Italian was not offered at my, my high school, and I don't feel like right. I've heard of it being offered typically in a lot of high schools I know of. But, I mean, obviously yeah. everywhere is different. So. It's not very common. And, uh, in fact, when I went to college, I wanted to continue studying it at, like, a higher level. Um, but they only offered like one or two like semesters of introductory courses. And I like took a, a test to like place myself and they're like, you tested out of both of them. I was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't pursue like anything with it anymore after that. So I mean, I, I keep up with it on my own. I just try to like, try to read, uh, like tell you newspaper articles. I watch, try to watch a lot of like YouTube and, uh, okay. there's like, there's actually a decent amount of stuff on Netflix and HBO that's an Italian um so like your proficiency with watching this movie bicycle thieves like if you if you just sat and like close your eyes or didn't look at the subtitles like you could pick a decent uh, some of it up like yeah it's tricky uh i mean i'm sure if you're like a native italian speaker it'd be like watching an american movie from like the 30s like it's obvious they're speaking differently right but um so like yeah i mean the language is basically the same uh the characters are um we'll we'll definitely get to this in a little while the characters are like very rural like uh just like not not sophisticated none of them are actors like they're just they're literally they're like they're men of the earth (laughs) they're really just these like rural italians who are cast in this film so they yeah they speak with like this heavy like old-timey roman accent um and dialectically it's pretty similar to standard italian um so i mean it's yeah there's definitely a lot of stuff to be picked up in there and i mean the language hasn't changed that much like any of the sign like there's a lot of signage actually in this movie i feel like a lot of context yeah, yeah. in the movie comes from like signs or, or posters um and like those are all pretty legible i'm not i'm definitely not a f- like fully fluent in italian but i can pick up most of it like if i got dr- dumped off in the middle of a city in italy i'd be i'd be fine <laughs> good <ask for> <laughs> find my way home yeah yeah, it's I I misinterpreted you when you said the signs because I thought you were talking about like sign language, and oh, um, like I a... actually, but it's interesting because yeah. I I rewatched the Master of None episode that is like um an homage to this film. It's it's like it's the one when he's in in Modena. Yes, and his phone yeah. gets stolen, and they basically recreate the plot of Bicycle Thieves. Correct. Um, you know but... another great film that recreates the plot of Bicycle Thieves, the uh, seminal cinematic triumph peewee's big adventure <laughs> yes yes that's right i did see that um yeah it's great i mean it's a it's a beloved film it's um it's it's interesting doing uh watching a film like this and going and doing like some research and stuff especially i would say like coming off the last film we we just watched on this podcast which is also bicycle a bicycle a bike. Yeah, another yeah. bicycle themed film yes some some bikes getting stolen in that film as well but that's oh they a got newer, stolen okay just like, like temp- temporarily uh just by some kids oh, uh, causing trouble in the neighborhood yeah um yeah but they Classic. uh they um it, it, there's so much on this film obviously like just going online like you can find out a lot of stuff anything you want like in terms of like trivia or whatever but at the same time it happened long enough ago that there were certain things that I was researching that I just couldn't find information on. Like, for example, um, the frame, the the model of his bike, he says the name of it at some point in the film. The Fides, yeah. Yeah, it's like a 1935 Fides. And um, 
And I was Googling it and trying to find this actual bike because I wanted to like get a better look at it or see a picture. Like yeah. maybe there'd be an interesting article. And I couldn't find everything. Everything I huh. saw was just like a quote from the film. Like people yeah, writing. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, it's possible that wasn't. It's not a real like bike or or like maker exactly. model even. I, I'm exactly. wondering. Like I don't. I don't. I guess I, I like thought about this because that obviously has like some like it shares like the the etymo uh the etymological root in latin of uh faith right the word for like yeah like loyalty or, or faith got it yes. um but i don't know that that doesn't really like reflect in any symbolism in the movie so i don't know if it made sense makes sense that he like made that name up I don't, well, so I don't it know. also feels it also feels contrary to the spirit of italian neorealism <laughs> yeah. like to make up a bike brand but um but um <laughs> yeah this is a really good point <laughs> but the thing i wanted to say about master of none that episode is that um there's a scene where the italian friend he has is is showing him signs for things and uh mm-hmm. telling him the meaning and it made me realize that like in a lot of italian films and especially older italian films like you do see people like very vocal like it's while speaking the italian language like doing a lot with their hands and then when i saw this scene i was like is that an extra like is that is that something that's like a developed language on top of the spoken language like in italian culture or is it just like the way that anyone uses hand gestures yeah i mean it definitely is it it almost runs parallel with a lot of the italian dialects like there's like people if you ask someone from italy who's from like uh like rome or uh like Tuscany, who ha- are, those those are considered like pretty standard regional dialects that like someone who like studied Italian like in a school like would understand, right? It's kind of like the standard like American accent or like British okay. accent, like the newscaster type accent. Um, and like people who speak Italian with that dialect, like will say like someone from like Naples like is literally like speaking another language <laughs> because their like dialect is so like different and like oh, thick okay. compared to theirs. And like to go along with that, like a lot of the different regions like have very um, unique takes on the sort of hand gestures. I mean, a lot of them are, are pretty common sense, right? Yeah. Um, like if you're like smacking your forehead, you're talking about like thinking or paying attention or something yeah. like stuff like that. You like people can pick up on nonverbal cues like that. There's there's a lot of nuanced stuff too that is right. definitely like cultural and, and but they taught. like some of those things feel a little bit more literal than just like gestural like me like how what i'm doing talking with my hands right now i'm, I'm almost just like emphasizing the points you know yeah versus for sure, yeah, yeah. Like hitting your head like that stuff is very literal but um of course that's in cultures all over it was just interesting that mm-hmm. that she was like saying these words that aligned with them um yeah yes so anyways um, as I as I'm realizing that you have like more knowledge about this, I'm like, oh, I have to ask you these questions. So, um, but yeah. So, anyways, bicycle thieves. Um, it, we mentioned the neorealism. This is like the shining mm-hmm. example of this film genre called Italian neorealism, which is basically um, built upon the premise of using real people as actors, um, filming on location, and essentially like showing um, a lot of themes of poverty and struggle and. Part of that, obviously, is the fact that these films were made like right after World War Two, like literally right. in the in the rubble of of you know bombings in Rome. Yeah. And the literally. old film stu- the old film studio that Mussolini built, like bombed in Rome. Correct. Um, yeah, the studio of, uh, at Cinecitta, which was the primary like film studio in Italy up to that point. And yeah, 
I mean, I think the fact that it was kind of destroyed in bombings during the war, and also uh, part of that, like as part of that, a lot of the like like the bulk of the film stock in Italy was like stored at these studios, and it was either damaged or destroyed. Right. And so, I mean, those weren't necessarily driving factors, but those two things like definitely contributed towards uh, like this neo-realist movement where they yeah. shot on location, not on a studio set with like really low budget, like basic equipment and local people. Um, even if they had wanted to shoot in a studio, it wasn't possible <laughs> for a lot of movie shooting at that time. Yeah. And this is something too, that like Fellini is not necessarily considered like neo-realist. He kind of, he kind of mm-hmm. emerged from it. But um, one thing that that his films have in common with uh, these neorealist films as well, I think uh, for a lot of them, I don't know if it's like the majority, but um, uh, dubbing the sound afterwards, like all mm-hmm. the uh, all the dialogue being dubbed in studio afterwards, um, which was the case in this film as well, from what I understand. Yes. Um, which sometimes sometimes you can really tell, but I felt like in this film it was. It was done really well. It's it's harder. I don't, to I don't tell. think it was all dubbed in in this film, but yeah, that was a, a common practice. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, I think like I think th- it was it was interesting because like if you look up Italian neorealism, you can find accounts that say like there are only seven Italian yeah. re- neorealist films. Yeah, but then you can also find other people saying like no, it's a little bit broader than that and includes these films or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's that core, but um, I think the principles that like that movement was built on, uh, even though it, it kind of crumbled and, and disappeared within like less than a decade, <laughs> kind of it popped up immediately post-war and by like 1955, 56, it was all but gone. But a lot of the yeah. core tenants you see in Italian movies for the next 20 or 30 years, um, like there's a, <laughs> there's a great, uh, this great, uh, Pasolini film that I watched in that same high school class um and uh it's called uh Il Vangelo Secondo Matteo the the gospel according to Saint Matthew and it's like yes it's really weird it's like a literal like word for word recreation of the gospel of of Saint Matthew um okay. but it's like uh shot like in the neorealist style to like every like the fullest extent like he shot he he was gonna go to the middle east to film it like on location and um he like flew there and was like ah like fuck it it's too hot i don't like whatever (laughs) so he shot the whole thing in italy instead um he like shot in these local towns he like cast all these uh I, i think if i'm remembering right the the guy he cast to play jesus was like a local like college student who had never acted before he this is uh he cast his own mother to play the virgin mary i mean that's just <laughs> that is I, like i, that I, is I so fucking Freudian. love this it's like <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that's the, yeah there's definitely something else to unpack there but the, yeah it was a, a lot of that a lot of those tenants like shooting on location these like gorilla like pop-up sets in like little towns like where the extras are the people who live like next door wearing their own clothes like that was definitely sort of propagated uh yeah with those early neorealism films and and that and i think that that's like an idea in filmmaking that was always going to be inevitable as like camera equipment and, and film became cheaper because you would you would have enough entry into you, you know you have everyone who wants to make films and tell stories and then once you get to a place where like um that equipment is cheap enough to make it on your own dime relatively cheaply um you're still gonna find ways to like you know <laughs> to cut costs and um and just make stuff on your own essentially. So, um, but, and, and not only of course, did this influence like Italian cinema going forward, I think like looking, of course, talking about the French new wave, 
like immediately afterwards. And I think the spirit of, of filming in this like loose, fast style with real people and like trying to break up the artifice, right. Of mm-hmm. like American films and the studio system. Um, and also something that was mentioned that like, not, um, not a lot that I've seen, but th- apparently like the Indian Indian cinema of the time, like new in new wave Indian cinema was really influenced by. Um, yeah. Italian neorealism. Yeah, I've um, heard that. It's if you look at like a lot of like prominent Indian directors from that area era, they're it, they're like, who's your who are your influences? <laughs> and they're like, it's all Desica. Uh, Desica. <laughs> like what? Like all this? Everyone says that. It's like, I, mean, I don't know, like how how that how that came to be. Although, I mean, I guess that might have just been like sort of a post war boom because a a big a big reason. Um, well, yeah, I mean, a big reason that the the this movement blew up in the first place and then literally blew up like imploded on itself shortly after was yeah. like the universal export like these films were pushed super hard outside of italy it was the first right. time that italy or italian cinema was getting this like huge international audience and right. it, it's funny because the the films were like almost all universally despised by italians but they did like exceedingly well overseas like bicycle thieves got a won an academy award didn't it yes so actually I was going to mention that because um, the Oscar for foreign language film was um, uh, first introduced uh, two years before, and it was won by uh, his other his earlier film Shoeshine, which I have not seen. Uh-huh, yeah. But it was another film. I uh, another film with children and, and just similar themes, and so that won the first um, Academy Award for foreign language film, and then two years later, this one won, and. Um, it's interesting. It sounds like the way that they did this in the early days was that there weren't nominations. Um, they like nowadays countries submit um, their their like film for the nomination, and then the uh, the Academy picks five out of you know the entire world. But yeah. um, but back then they were just like, hey, here's a foreign movie we really like. <laughs> so um, so yeah, this one in 1948 for. Um, for foreign language film. But I do think that it's like, I do think that this was kind of like a big global phenomenon. Um, and yeah, and I do think that that's a big part of it. Like another influence is, is um, the Iranian films. There's like one thing about a bunch of Iranian films is that they're kind of all centered around children. And part of the reason for that was um, due to government like um, restrictions and, and essentially censorship. Like, they found it easier to like tell the stories they were trying to tell through these like simplified uh, morality lessons of children. Um, but it sounds like another uh, reason is like hmm. you talk to or you hear interviews with some of these directors and they also cite this movie as being a, a big influence. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a popular one and, um, and definitely like a lot of material about it. So, so yeah, this film, you know, as I, as I don't think I actually mentioned, but directed by Vittorio De Sica. Mm-hmm. I think. Did I get that pretty pretty right? You um, nailed it. Okay, okay. Uh yeah, and um as you mentioned, like real actors. So um the main character is Antonio Ricci, and mm-hmm. uh he was played by a man named Lamberto Magirani. And uh this Lamberto this first movie, right? I mean, he yeah. I think he acted in a bunch of other things, but this was the first movie he was ever in. Yeah, he was. They found him in a factory. Um, oh, really? They, yeah, <laughs> and they were that. like, "We like this guy," um, and he's incredible. Like, that's the thing is that you would not, 
if you just watch this film, like I uh-huh. think you'd have a hard time believing that it was all non-actors. Because I think uh, for me, uh, rewatching this recently, the 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 thing that stood out the most uh, was he. You could tell that he like seemed unnatural, uh, like physically at times. Like just yeah. at, when he's like, there's like the a scene he where body, he's chasing yeah. someone, and you're like, you can tell like. He he's he doesn't he's like thinking about it too hard like what it looks yeah. like to run he's not like just running but like yeah. the other things where he's just like doing like normal day to day like manual labor like he, it just seems like so natural even like his expressions I was gonna say are I like think his very natural are, are what sell it like yeah he has like this incredible range and like but yeah so I think the only thing that really stands out like knowing like and I don't even I think like I know I know that he's not an actor in this right I know this is the first movie he's been when I'm watching right. it so I'm like maybe more attuned to looking out for this stuff but I think it, it is pretty hard to tell other than like a few of the more like like the physical like wide shot scenes yeah yeah for sure and then um also like uh, you know basically the other main character in this is his son bruno we love bruno we stay in bruno <laughs> yeah bruno's oh incredible God. like he this, he's this little kid and he's, he's so um he's adorable and he is just like in love with his father like he just looks up to him and he's like he goes with him into the city for work so this so they live in this suburb of rome yeah and val Melaina. Uh, yes okay and then um and then it's in, really like in yeah it's basically i mean it's pretty uh it's like in north of downtown Rome, which so it's not it looks that pretty. Far. No, it's like not far outside the city. Um, yeah, right. so like uh, definitely like a, a suburb. He takes of... like a, a bus to to get into the city to go to Rome, right. Yeah, yeah. So at, before I, I think we should rewind real quick just to that opening scene where we meet him. I think I think like it's so like it seems pretty intentional. Like the name that uh that the seek is chosen from here antonio ricci is like like if this was an american movie like his name would be john smith basically <laughs> it's okay, like okay. the most like it's like uh common like standard like basic italian male name ricci is like one of the most common last names in italy so i right from the get-go he's like hey this is just like your common every man like that you guys can relate to yeah that's interesting and um, i think the other important point in the first scene is that it kind of adds to that is uh we kind of first see antonio emerge like on the camera like pushing like through this crowd of of people and then like presenting himself out front um but that theme repeats itself a lot throughout the film like antonio is kind of emerging from the the crowds of rome and like disappearing back into them yeah there's huge there's huge crowds throughout the film uh, yeah in various ways seemingly Seemingly some some real crowds, some it sounds like we're we're hired extras, but mm-hmm. when we say extras, it once again seems like real people off the streets that they corralled to come be in the movie, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, Antonio Ricci, his son Bruno, his wife Maria, and um you know, they're struggling. He doesn't have a job at the moment, but the first scene of the film is is him being given a job assignment by this mm-hmm. government office. Um, and yeah, it's a crowd of people all waiting for work and, um, he is lucky enough to get the job, but he needs a bicycle for it and he doesn't have his bike at the moment yeah. cause it's, cause he pawned it off basically. Right. I um, love, I love what he says there. The guy, uh, the like, uh, labor guy, uh, 
whatever the fat fat cat guy with the cigar yeah. chomping his cigar hey you want a job kid <laughs> yeah. he's he's like well you need a bike otherwise we'll give it to someone else and antonio uh <laughs> what he says in italian is cello non cello he, he literally says i have one i don't have one yeah yeah you're right. <laughs> which is i think pretty pretty much what they say in the subtitles but and then he goes i don't have one now and like before you find the context of what this means, it just sounds so hilarious. He's like, I have one. It's like the meat. The meat. He's like, uh, do you have a bike? Well, yes, but actually no. <laughs> but then like, yeah, we immediately find out what he means uh, in the next. But scene. it's like, but it's like once again, he's like, he's so grateful and excited to receive a job. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to. Yeah, and in the context sure of the things, what's happening, you know? it's yeah. like. Him getting this job means his family isn't gonna starve or like go cold in the streets. Like this means that he can put money on the table and support his family. It's like right. between that and like starvation, basically. It's so interesting. I was reading um, an article uh, about this film just by this sort of like independent film blogger from like 2006. Mm. He wrote this, but he was talking about how um, there was all these these like unintended like political criticisms of this film, like over the over the decades and and like kind of closer to the time and one of the things that he said like people misinterpreted that i thought was interesting was that like um the marxists thought that like that like antonio is actually like the bad guy of this film and they misinterpreted him, him as a member of the bourgeois based on the fact that like he had like clean sheets and a home and like basically uh-huh. th- there was a lot of homelessness at the time so they misinterpreted him as like supposed to be a somewhat higher class character and that there was like this government favoritism in him receiving the job essentially. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, in a way he, we, we later find out, even though we, uh, DeSica like paints this really, uh, like grim portrait of their life and their financial, uh, and even like their living situation at the beginning of the film, you know, you start out thinking like, wow, this guy's like really like they're they're bringing water back from a well to their apartment because it doesn't have running water. And you're like, man, yeah. like their rooms are so tiny, like and the the son and the baby share room. So it looks like this really grim, desperate picture. But then we later find out as we get further and further into the city and into the film that like there are people way worse off than than the Ricci's. Right. And so it, his his life starts to look kind of rosy all of a sudden. Um, so I could definitely see how that was maybe a bit willfully misinterpreted. There are other things misinterpreted about this, though. Like a, a lot of countries m- mistranslated the name of the movie yeah. for many years, which isn't huge. But like the correct translation full to the events of the film in, it, in Italian, it's a ladri di biciclette which uses the plural for thieves, ladro, and uh, bicycle, bicicleta. Okay. But it was translated as the bicycle thief. Right. Uh, in English for many years, which but is I fine. Read, it still I read works. plenty of people but... trying to argue that the bicycle thief, singular, is more impactful because it, it talks about the man who steals his bike. And, of course, with him stealing yeah. the bike at the end, they're like, it's like, whoa, it's like this thing. It's like, no, that's not the name of... Right, that's yeah, not the name you, of the it's, film. Right? Um, it, that's not how it works. Yeah, you don't get to change the name. I mean, I guess that's not true. People change names of other people's shit all the time now. Yeah. But it, that's not what it's called, and they're wrong. The, the actual just, name is much more meaningful, and it doesn't. It's, it's kind when of a you silly know, argument. Like, it's <laughs> kind of the same thing happening either way. You know, like we're talking about the same thing, whether it's plural or singular. You know, but but once I, again, so I, I, I would actually push back on that. I think 
the plural in both cases is much more meaningful when you get to the end of the film. When we get there, I'll tell you why. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> get get your stump speech ready for bicycle. <laughs> we'll have a we'll have a Twitter poll tomorrow. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All the uh, what do you call your your loyal uh, fans and subscribers? The divers. What's up, dive gang? <laughs> I like the divers. Yeah, that's good. Um, so he gets the job. He goes. Um, he goes and gets his bike. His uh, his wife Maria actually pawns off. She she takes the sheets from her their bed, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and sells them at the at the same pawn shop to get money back for him to buy his bike back. So yep. that was kind of interesting. That like it, it. I don't know if it indicated how long he hasn't had his bike, but thought it was interesting no. that his bike was still available to buy back there that it wouldn't be like turned around so quickly especially yeah. later when we see this like crazy economy of 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 biking that yeah. happened well you know? what what uh the important thing or another important thing we learn at the pawn shop is it just like this uh this like next devastating gut punch as the Sika like continues like and, and he does a good job of, of showing you what's going on in the city and in Rome like without ever saying anything right like he paints like you you, totally. you previously understood like how kind of poorly the Rishis were living watching them bring water from this well and they like stumble down this hill and then the wife like can't carry both buckets so like Antonio yeah. grabs one and they're like both lugging them up these stairs like so like he he never says anything there's like not any dialogue in that scene but you immediately understand so much about their life and then the pawn shop kind of like folds that out into like this entire landscape of people as it like the as the camera like pans into the pawn shop and you see him retrieving antonio's bike from this rack with like hundreds of other bikes that people have had to pawn just to like probably get money for food for their families and then when the guy like goes further back into the pawn shop to like put the the bed sheets with some stuff, he starts climbing up these like this wooden rack of bed sheets, and he's going up like two stories, three stories, and there's yeah. just like it zooms out, and there's just like thousands, like it's just pawn shop is like a warehouse of things that people have had to pawn to survive, and suddenly you're like, wow, like you get you realize the extent of like how badly the people of Italy are doing right now. Yeah, and there's also like it also goes to show that there's not this like communal um uh sense of like helping each other out, right? Like it it is this like post-war um kind of like every man for himself. Not quite every man for himself, yeah. but it is a, is it a bit of a like there's an economy built around suffering sort of mm-hmm. like um, yeah, we we just see that one time later in the film when some people come together to help each other out. Yes, really. yes, and not necessarily painted in a rosy in a rosy picture. No, and it's not. It's it's. I feel like it's kind of implied. There's like maybe some like mafioso shit going on there. A couple of a couple of the guys that come up are like wearing suits and sunglasses and shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. He gets the bike back and he goes in for his first day of work. And this is kind of what I was talking about with the son, right? Where we get to see these like really cute moments with his son, Bruno, where um, it's his, he's about to go off to work. And like his son is just kind of like looking up, beaming at his dad. And Mm -hmm. they both get it like an egg sandwich made by uh, Maria. And I think like one's a little bit smaller for Bruno. Uh (laughs) And it fits right in his little coat pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he's, Right, he's kind of dressed like an adult a little bit, Bruno. Like what he, he's yeah, wearing. he is a little. He's a little man. Yeah, he's the a way tiny he speaks, man and child. everything. Um, <laughs> the actor Enzo Stoioli, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but um, 
he claims in this supplementary documentary that I watched that hmm. uh, DeSica auditioned over 5,000 children for the role, which seemed insane to me based on, once again, this... I, <laughs> <laughs> I went to 5,000 when he was in that movie, so I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But I guess that he... Um, I, I, I think I read that Enzo showed up on set because his dad was auditioning for um, the Antonio Ricci's part. And then he saw the kid, and he liked. He thought the kid would be good. So, huh? Um, so he swooped is, on his own father and got a role in the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a gun. It's kind of like that scene in Lady Bird where the dad and the son are interviewing for the same job. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So the kid is great, and then like they when they get into the city, the kid is like immediately like filling up a can of gasoline or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't this know is what his a, role this is. A, is. This is a great moment in the film, too, because at like going into it, like you watch like his dad kind of packs up his little egg sandwich in his pocket. He's got what almost could be mistaken for like maybe a little like schoolboy uniform. Like they get in the bus together. They ride into the city. They like part ways. And then like Antonio says goodbye to him. He's like, I'll meet you like after work. And you're like, oh, he's like going off to school. Right. Oh, and then yeah, he yeah. goes into this little brick building and comes out with like, yeah, like some gasoline at like a like a little auto stop at the corner of the street or whatever. Right. And you're like, holy shit, he's, he has a job. He's like seven years old and he's going to work. So like do we so the kid the kid doesn't go to school seemingly like there's no, no like, I, uh, I mean, I, I think it was not uncommon for children to be working back then. Yeah. Yeah. Or in that like period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, he his job Antonio's job is hanging up posters. Um, he's getting the like tutorial, the rundown from this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's another great moment with a kid who's just like playing the accordion and leans against the ladder, and the guy who's teaching yeah. Antonio just like kicks him away. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. There actually, there's like uh, for me, like that's a really funny like comical. Um, and I think, I think Tasika like, uh, definitely, uh, like was influenced a lot by Charlie Chaplin stuff. I think everyone at this period was, but like, that yeah. was a funny, almost like Chaplin-esque moment where like what they're doing and saying doesn't really matter. It's kind of a goofy, like two dudes in a ladder moment. And then like yeah. this little kid playing the accordion, like backs into him and he like kicks him off screen and like, totally. but like, but like what's, what's weird about that scene and like even the scenes leading up to it is how much tension there is at least like i was feeling a lot of tension because like we know we're 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 the omniscient viewer right we know the movie is called bicycle thieves right right? and as soon as antonio gets his bicycle back everyone he sees is like what are you doing like put that down just leave it there what are you worried about blah blah blah. and i'm I'm like don't put it down antonio and then like even like even yeah uh, yeah, he goes in he's like an office part where his his wife is at the fortune teller um oh we and, skipped that yeah we should and we he's should waiting downstairs for her and he doesn't know where she is he's he's just like she's they're coming back from getting the bike and she's just like i have to go see a woman about something yeah and he's waiting downstairs not weird and, at all and these people go <laughs> these people are like going upstairs asking to see the holy one and the one who sees right and, um he's like he's like ask someone downstairs can you watch the bike for me and then he runs upstairs and so of course as a viewer you're like fuck come on man (laughs) yeah you're about to get the bike stolen and but then he doesn't that first time you know so no 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, we we when we go upstairs, we just see that the this lady seems like a fortune teller at the time, right? And the wife is going up there to to thank her and like pay her back because she went and asked if Antonio would find a job, and she said yes, which I mean, right. got got fifty fifty shot on that one. Um, right, right. Actually, maybe it's probably less than that at that point in time, but uh, yeah, when they come back down, it's like it's another it's another point where um you know, the camera just slowly pans back a bit and shows you like just the like corner, like the handlebar of the bike just fills up the corner of the screen. And it like the yeah. the camera reveals to you, it's like the kid didn't steal. It's still there. And like this tension that you're just like, oh, because like when they're coming down the stairs, you don't see the bike in frame in the same way that you did when they were going up it. So you're like, is it For there? Sure. Is it not? And then it's like, oh, here it is. You're like, oh, thank God. It's <laughs> like something I love about a lot of older movies is they they're really, um, really aware of exactly how things are framed in the camera. And part of that is that there are fewer edits just in, in days where it was obviously more of a pain to edit and the, the film stock and shooting and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, they would be really intentional about the way that a camera would be up on someone's face. And then like, like you said, uh, pan back a little bit to like include a new object or like swivel in a really intentional way with like something that's a bit of a longer take. And um it's really it's really nice to see as a viewer i don't know it just feels like rewarding like you're following the thing like you said the idea that's happening isn't being stated out loud by a character it's just like the camera is speaking to you yeah and it feels like the camera like is listening to you too right it feels like the camera knows what you're thinking so it almost feels feels like like the camera is like what you where you would look if you were in the in the you're like wait i'm thinking yeah let me look back and oh yeah it's like it's just mm-hmm. like your own thought process happening visually almost. Definitely. So, um, but yeah, it, totally. Like you're just waiting for his bike to be stolen. Alsa's very impressed by um, them biking around because they have to carry the ladders to put up their posters. Yeah. So I was impressed by that too because <laughs> they have a long, just like old timey, like single block, like wooden ladder. Like yeah, on like 12, one, 10 on their to shoulder. 12 feet or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's like going out like six feet in front of them and six feet behind. They're balancing it on one shoulder and yeah. they have a bucket. I just, I, I'm talking like a fish pail, like a giant like bucket of glue, like hanging off of one handlebar. And, and they're just riding through the chaotic streets of rome where the people are just running i mean i think the streets of rome are still like that people are just running across the street and cars are almost running everyone over buses are zooming by and then they're just like riding navigating through all this yeah. granted it's they're going out super early in the morning i think it it's like 5 30 or 6 30 reported for work so the yeah. city is sort of just slowly coming to life as we travel through this day but still. have you have you been to rome <laughs> no i haven't Okay, I was kind of wondering because it, obviously biking is a huge part of the film and him getting around, and, but also you see that there's a huge biking culture in terms of people getting around. Um, part of that maybe being the economy of the day, right? But mm-hmm. I was kind of curious if, if like, like um, I've been to, I like I went to Amsterdam last year, and Amsterdam is known for biking and just like great bike lanes and just tons and tons of bike traffic all over the city. Yeah. Um, which was true and i was kind of curious if rome is the same way or if it's like i think the american stereotype of rome would be more of like the little moped right the little like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think the the real the reality of it is, is that most people are walking around in rome they're on foot right. um 
but they're on foot everywhere. So like in the like the people you see just like walking across the middle of the goddamn street like a heathen in this movie is pretty. I mean that's a that's a very Italian. Like really, the the only thing uh, that will like get you run over in Italy is like if you like acknowledge that the car exists. Like you just you <laughs> never look at the car. If you make eye contact with the driver, like it's over. You're fair game to run over. But yeah. like if you dart out in the middle of the street, you just like keep your head down and keep going. Like and you pretty much have the right away so that yeah, that's there, definitely there's a scene, accurate there's a scene where bruno's <laughs> trying to cross the street and and there's like two or three cars that interrupt and stopped him and uh-huh. the imdb trivia trivia says that that is uh just something that happened in the moment like the kid almost got yeah run over, basically. i think that's that's like a, a huge part of uh near realism films too is like just and I mean, some, sometimes it's intentional. Like I could see him putting that in there intentionally too, but it's like these little day-to-day things in life that just happen that aren't necessarily detracting from the plot or moving it forward. They're just things that happen. And yeah. I like to seek a, like utilizes that a lot. And, um, like there's there's like a lot of things in the film that just like vaguely happen like off screen or like on screen and like Antonio like doesn't notice or care about them. Like there's there's a couple times where Antonio like starts walking away. And he has to like turn around and like notice that Bruno is not with him. He's like, oh, fuck, I gotta. <laughs> he like doesn't notice or like, yeah, yeah there's like a scene like he, he runs across <laughs> the street and like Bruno almost gets fucking nailed by a, a car and like that he just like ah oh, shit and he like avoids it and then he catches up with Antonio and like yeah, he never knows that Yeah, my favorite moment of happened. that is when is when Bruno <laughs> goes off and he's like he's looking for they split up to look for something but then Bruno decides he has to pee so he's like standing just by this mm-hmm. building like starting to unbuckle his pants and Antonio yeah. sees him and he's like Bruno come on and he's like I'm sorry and then, like, yeah. he throws his hands up like once again what and like it, it's funny you mentioned Chaplin because I was thinking about some of those moment, moments too reminding me of um uh, similar to Chaplin, but the Marx Brothers movies and those characters, yeah. and and once again, sort of this slapstick. Like Chaplin had a lot more silent films, obviously, but like it, it's the same idea. You know, obviously Harpo Marx in those movies doesn't speak, so he's essentially the mime, the the silent film star character. But mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, just that very physical comedy that that happens a couple times in this movie. Yeah, and I think the other another good comparison to draw there is like a lot of it is little little things that just happen like slightly out of perspective of some of the characters. So it's almost like a joke that you as the viewer are in on that like some of the characters on screen aren't. Like going back right. to this the scene where he kicks the kid off the screen. Like I don't I don't think Antonio even notices that. Um, but like right. it still happens and you see it. And like the same thing with Bruno, like obviously a, a child getting run over on a busy city street is <laughs> not funny, <laughs> but <laughs> in the movie, it's kind of funny because of the way he just jumps out of the way, like so nimbly that you're like, oh, ah, yeah, like, like, this, this isn't the first time this happened. <laughs> but the fact that Antonio is just so oblivious to it that as a viewer, you're the only one that ever knows it happened is also like uh, in that same spirit i feel like it's like this joke like that only you're in on so yeah so you know as the title suggests he he's putting up basically like his first poster maybe a second poster or mm-hmm. whatever the first one we see yeah and, and what are those posters it's a poster of rita hayworth oh yeah it is yeah yeah which <laughs> one thing i was gonna say too about the like um you know we were talking about fellini and la dolce vita is my mm-hmm. favorite film of his which i recently rewatched and um that movie is kind of like about this like glitzy um like uh 
stardom culture that existed in Italy that like was kind of skewering it a little bit. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because that's only 11 years later. And so I do think that like we're talking about the abandonment of neorealism domestically and sort of more of an interest in Hollywood and stardom and mm-hmm. this like international stage that I do think like seemingly took over Italian culture a little bit in, after the war yeah. started to su- subside. So For sure. That, that style and that sort of... Uh, idealized portrayal of Amer- or Italian life and culture was pretty prominent leading into neorealism. In fact, neorealism was like a response to films like that. If you look at like all of those Cinecita uh, films from the 30s leading up to neorealism, um, mm. they're uh, in a, in a, in a like a Italian uh, like cinema world, uh, they're referred to as uh, telefoni bianchi, white telephone films, because of the way they just idealize people's lives and houses. Like they they were known for having these like bright, obnoxious sets that were really glitzy and glamorous and geometric yeah. and and really visually appealing. And like one of the hallmarks of of these like scenes or sets was they would always have a white telephone set, which was kind of considered this like bougie, like luxury upper class thing to have at the time. And the yeah. neorealists were like, that's cool, but like ninety percent of the country is living in like bombed out like shelled apartment buildings in poverty right now like this is let's show that let's face reality for what it is and like the only like the only the only way we can move forward is to acknowledge that this is our reality right now um and that was interesting for a little bit but even the early neorealist films were just like kind of disliked in italy because it was the post-war period people were like feeling like things were there was finally something positive to look forward to and people wanted to uh, like portray a good picture of Italians, right? These were yeah, being, this, it, these were some of their first exports internationally. They didn't, yeah. And like people felt like, oh, like they're just portraying Italians as these like slovenly, like poor homeless people. Like that's not what we the image we want to give to the world. So well, I think also, uh, like, neorealism yeah, I, died out quickly <laughs> because because of that. I, I think like the simplified explanation that I read regarding that was that sort of the political parties that were rising in the wake of the war were both. Uh, interested in not portraying Italian Italy in that way, you know, and and sort of like mm, yeah, two Italian people sort of like no, like no, like things are improving, right, because of the changes that we're doing in society. Like no, that that type of poverty doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and it it is really interesting. I did not realize that, like like you said, with the film studio as well as the Venice Film Festival, both started by or, or products of things that Mussolini was doing, which yeah. I did not realize, but makes a lot of sense because it's like you look at any dictator or any ruler with like sort of, I mean, anywhere, right? Like propaganda or media or anything like that is a huge part of telling the story of, of the country and, and what, you know, the good things that you're doing. So um, yeah. And the, yeah, there's no propaganda in neorealism. It's just, it's supposed to be just this honest, right. unfiltered view of life. It's propaganda for the soul, essentially. <laughs> yeah, like... yeah, right. You you make a good point with the like the the political parties being in opposition to it because the government was really one of the the biggest critics of neorealism, and a big part of that um, is that uh, we have to remember this is in the media post-war period where European countries are sort of negotiating for chunks of the Marshall Plan. Um, Italy ultimately ends up, I think, being one of the top like four, three or four like biggest recipients of money from the Marshall Plan. But like one of the reasons for that is um, they 
basically tried to like just squash any negative Italian propaganda. They, they didn't yeah. want to be exporting this uh, neorealism image of themselves while they're trying to negotiate for why they'll benefit like from the Marshall Plan, like what they're doing, like what steps they're taking, what progress they're making. Like it's pretty like dire. Yeah, like Italy's history through World War II is a little bit more complicated in, in terms of like Mussolini being removed from power at one point right and mm-hmm. and then essentially being jailed and the king took back over and then the germans rescued mussolini and like reinstated him so i do think that there was a bit of like a um you could look at it as an outsider and sort of like tell yourself oh yeah the italians were like being held hostage by this this tyrant you know <laughs> so yeah and yeah i mean uh i don't know it's like he's a, he's like such a controversial figure too because um like even at the time, like a lot of people supported Mussolini for various reasons, and even like uh, I think like Mussolini's son like had some involvement in like Italian cinema like around yeah, this time. Yeah, he was uh, he was like a film critic, and he wrote for the like really prominent Italian film magazine. Um, and and these okay. were like the people and the critics who were um like discussing what is neorealism like they're like yeah they're the ones sort of defining these terms at the time yeah it's kind of reminded me of like i don't remember the name of the magazine but like there's this really famous publication in france called cahier du cinema and um that was like a really prominent publication in terms of like um defining what the french new wave was and and sort of like uh you know these really like uh all these films of the time, just like a lot of philosophical ideas being thrown around uh, at film at the same time that they're being made. So I think it was kind of a similar thing that Mussolini's son was a, was a part of with this magazine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting though. Like, yeah, like people didn't really ever seem to care or have a problem with that. Like Mussolini's granddaughter is like this pretty prominent, like, uh, like political activist and like voice in like it's Italy today. And, I know, like, people definitely give her shit, but it's not, people aren't, like, oh, like, trying to, like, cut off, like, kill her, <laughs> like, cut off right. the bloodline. Like, the, like, Mussolini, people that are Mussolini's are, like, still, like, around in Italy. So, I don't know, it's just interesting yeah, that, interesting. like, his son was, like, kind of active at that time. Like, he, he definitely, like, Italy got overthrown, but it doesn't mean that, like, he was, unpop- like, wildly unpopular. Yeah, and I definitely didn't know a lot about, like, Italy in World War Two or Mussolini until, like, just doing some research for this episode so um it yeah it's something that's really interesting just in terms of like the role of italy versus germany and japan yeah something we think about as much you know yeah italian Um, history is a wild ride man even leading up to world war ii like a lot of people just like i think don't know that they just had like kings and shit like they were like it was like they're very much like uh in the same vein as like what we would consider like classical like medieval europe but like we only ever think about like england or like france when we like look at movies like that but Like, Italy was, like, very similar. It, like, Italy had a king until, like, basically World War Two. <laughs> right, Like, right. They, they had kings, and, yeah, they were, like, uh, the ki- Like, until World War Two, they were the kingdom of Italy. Like, Italy didn't become a country until... I mean, Italy, like, technically is a in, younger in its, country. In its, current, in its current, like, um, carnation, yeah. Like, unified like, sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But can we talk for one second about how bad he is at his job, though? This this poor guy spends yeah. all morning teaching him how to how to put the poster up, how to smooth it out so there's no wrinkles, and we just kind of do this like this jump. <laughs> Honestly, it's almost like it's it's like what 
it's as close as we're gonna get to like a smash cut in those days like it just like boom it's just like the middle of antonio on his own putting up his own poster and he's just fucking it up horribly he is so wrinkly like it's just all kinds of fucked up it's kind of funny it's hard to watch it i'm like ugh. like come on man get that spot right there yeah it's 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 pretty bad (laughs) um but yeah Um, just basically immediately the the thieves appear yeah and they're kind of working in in coordination and like basically two others throw him off the trail because there's another guy who was watching it happen Yep. And he says, like, where'd he go? What 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 happened? He kind of, like, tr- stops Antonio a little bit. And then a third one, uh, Antonio hops on this car and is, like, directing this guy. And I love this. He just, like, hops yeah. on the car. And the yeah, driver this, well, is so gay. The driver is a G. Like, what a, what a yeah. guy. He's like, where'd he go, my man? I'll take you to him. And he's he like, hop on. not him at all. But another guy gets on the <laughs> other side who I guess was working with the with the bike thief. And uh-huh. uh, it's just like, I swear he went through the tunnel and he basically like misdirects. Yeah, them, so. he seems like a good Samaritan at first. And then it quickly becomes apparent that he was pointing them in the wrong direction the whole time. Yeah. yeah. So the bike's stolen. It's pretty devastating. He does go back to the poster and, and finishes it, right? He's like, just like glob some shit. Yeah, on, like, like the angrily paste the last corner in. <laughs> it's like ripped. The corner's like ripped and he's like just glosses over it. Yeah. Like, um, But so, yeah, he... He, um, I, I thought like, you know, once again, talking about the relationship between Antonio and Bruno, like he goes back to meet him at the end of the day and he's just totally crestfallen, but like, he can't even bring his, to bring himself to tell his son what happened. Yeah. Like he's so, he's so like embarrassed and ashamed. Like his son's immediately is just like, where's the bike? And he's like, did you, did it break down? Did yeah. you lose it or whatever? And he's just e like, roto. Si e roto yeah it's like oh god it's so sad <laughs> it's so sad i know right it's like there is something i think about this relationship where it's like he's like antonio only can only see himself as good as like through the eyes of his son like in a way like mm. it, it, he his son has to look up to him for him to have any like self-respect in a way so yeah it's a, it's a big part of this fair. and like having a job and and working and providing for his family you know so uh, he gets back home and it's like, I, I love the way that he, he meets up with his friend. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Baichio? Uh, Bayoko. Like Bayoko. Um, his friend yeah, is like putting on great. a, putting on a play and like, uh, in like this underground, I don't know where uh-huh. they are exactly. Um, and then, but then, he, so he's getting Baikyo's help. Um, and, uh, he, he seemingly knows about the, I guess, because he's a garbage man, right? So he knows, like, the right. city. Right. It's interesting. Well. Yeah. We meet him in the context of he's, like, rehearsing his musical or something, right? So, like, ah, oh, he's, like, an artsy dude, whatever. He's yeah. got, like, uh, he's got, like, some kind of artistic flair. And it's, like, and then he's so helpful, too. You immediately, we'll just call, let's just call him B. You just love B immediately. He's yeah. big. He's jolly. He's Antonio's friend. He clearly cares about him. He's like, what do you need? Uh, and he, he's like so ready and willing to help him and so positive that he can help. He's like, we're going to find, we're going to find your bike, bro. And right. he's, yeah, he's so knowledgeable. He's like, oh yeah, you got to go to like Porta Portese. He's like, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I know the streets. And you're like, wow, this dude is, he's so smart. Well, it turns out, yeah, we find out he's a, a spazzino. He's a, a, a trash collector. <laughs> so the, so that's kind of like revealed later on or like in the this the next scene or yeah. the next day when they go to actually do it um so yeah him and a couple other garbage men friends uh they all split up and like go to different places and look at different things um and there's this spot like piazza vittorio which 
is uh apparently the spot where all the stolen bikes get yeah um, it's a big open market. sold the next day yeah so they go and you know this is really well done too it's just like completely overwhelming from the start like the number yeah. of bikes you see it's not just bikes it's actually like i think the image that is more overwhelming is all the 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 tires being stripped off and hung on these poles and like yeah the parts. It's, a cho- it's like a chop shop <laughs> the individual parts and they're trying to like find for the individual parts of this bike mm-hmm. and it just feels so hopeless like, yeah I, this is another point where we get shown something interesting about the characters that isn't told to us which is that this is where we start to realize that Antonio is, never notices anything, right? We're starting to get the sense, like, things just, like, happen next to him that he doesn't notice. Like, we'll see later, he just leaves Bruno a bunch of times without realizing it. And Bruno is the opposite of that. Like, Bruno is always focused in on what's right in front of him, right? And we see that in this scene where, like, Antonio tells him to look for the bell from his bike. He's like, you'll recognize it, the bell. And, like, and Bruno is, like, just hyper-focused, like, on, on like, these, like, rows of hundreds of bells and it just right. like slowly like pans past and he's walking past slowly like examining each one and it, this is like the first time we see like bruno is very much focused on the present and what's in front of him in a way that antonio isn't yeah and i think another thing about this scene too that is like um sort of a little subconscious or in the background but i think is really meaningful is the fact that like this bike is so important to antonio and the way that any object could be like really meaningful to any human, like the way that we attach objects to the, or attach meaning to those like personal objects. And of course, when you see these things in a market being sold and being stripped for parts and whatnot, Mm -hmm. it's like a way of totally devaluing them. But not, not only that, but it shows that there's like, it shows you're not special in, in the things that you want or the things that you need. Like, in his case, there's so many bicycles and he needs just this one just to do his job and just to live this like simple, simple yeah. life that he wants to live. But it's like it's like you see how many bikes there are and there's something about it that I think is so like daunting is like, oh, you just want this one. Like this is the reality yeah. of the world is like everyone needs a bike, you know, like that's an awesome parallel you just drew there that I didn't pick up on at all. But yeah, I, now that I'm thinking about it, you're, you're so right. Like, I think all those bike parts are just like, a, a, it seems like a pretty obvious uh, like allegory or sim- symbol now to sort of parallel what we see throughout the film, where which are like these huge crowds of, of people that look yes. very similar. And Antonio just sort of melts into and out of them. And yes. in the same way, his bike just sort of has melted into this sea of bikes in Rome. And it seems hopeless now trying to differentiate it. Well, and it's so funny too, because I think during some of these early scenes, cause this kind of goes on for a couple minutes. Like they really, they really like, mm-hmm. um, you know, hit the point with, with the number I th- of bikes. I think they really want to make you think they're going to find it there. <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. I like. I, mean, I knew that. I know they don't find it, and I still felt hopeful. Like two minutes in, that like it might turn up. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's like any movie <laughs> that you know what's going to happen, and you just still are thinking somehow, tricking yourself, something different could happen. It's like, mm-hmm. um, I I had also seen this movie once before, but I didn't quite remember what happened. And around this time is when I started to think to myself that like the point also of all these shots is a bit of a moral question of like, okay, this dude just needs one bike. Why is he so hell bent on finding his own bike? Like there are plenty out there for him to steal. Right. And of course mm-hmm. later on, that's what, that's what the plot is going to culminate in. But before I could even remember 
um, that that happened, I was just like, why is he so, why are his morals so, his moral standard is so high that he won't allow himself to steal either, even though he desperately needs a bike. So of course that, that ends up really being the moral question of the film, but like it, it, it started to dawn on me in, in a way that was just like, like, Oh, like he's, he's kind of doing something a little useless right now. Like this is a Sisyphean task. Like he, yes, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Especially in this scene. Uh, I mean, throughout the rest of the movie, uh, there are, and there's a few poignant like moments that, uh, or at least one that I can think of that I'll bring up when it comes up later, right. but he's constantly in every scene bikes. People are riding their bikes past him, around him, in front of him, yeah. behind him. In this scene, he's surrounded by just literally hundreds, if not thousands of bike frames, tires, bells, mm-hmm. brakes, like all the components uh, on every side, but he doesn't have his own. And it, it just makes it feel very uh, overwhelming. I think was the word used before for sure. So, Another thing that I that I thought was interesting about this film upon rewatching it um is the the role that the police pr- play in it because I would call this film in general a cynical film like cynical about everything that happens about people stealing and about even the mm-hmm. even this person with these high moral standards ends up stealing. Yeah. But the 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 view of the view of the police in this film does not seem very cynical. They seem uh they seem reliable in the sense that like when he makes a threat, like I'm going to call the police and they're going to do something about it. And the police show up. They do seem like this force of order amongst this chaos, which I thought was kind of weird given that like you would think that the police force would also seem corrupt just given the rest of the nature of the film. Like, what did you make of that? Did you have any thoughts on like the, the portrayal (laughs) of the police in this movie? It's funny uh, because, yeah, like the way you just described the police is probably how Italian people would see them today. Um, but, yeah, like well, it's interesting. What, what we saw, um, what we see, like when he goes to the police station the first time to file the report, he's like talking to um, in uh, the Italian police for today, like a Carabinieri, which they get their name from the, the type of car they drive. But it's like the basic like street walking sort of beat cop. Um, and he encounters a couple of those later in the film as well, um, in different places. Um, I would say, yeah, there's always, I I agree with your, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, yeah. I agree with that assessment. Um, but like also like, I think the important like distinguishing feature of all of the police in the movie is they're totally unhelpful, right? They never help anyone do anything. Nothing ever happens when they're around because, and actually, like I guess the last policeman is a kind of actually pretty cynical about what's going well, on. Policeman, but he's the only one. The policeman but, is um, cynical about society, right? Like they're cynical about his uh-huh. chances. But they, yes. But the fact that he even is is like really reliant on the police and like yeah. So they're in they're in the Piazza Vittorio and mm-hmm. um they find a bike that he finds a bike that he thinks might be his. And he is insisting upon seeing the serial number because he's registered it in his police report. And yes. if it matches, he's going to essentially get his bike back. Um, and this is, a, this is a great scene too, because the guy, the guy fixing the bike, he's like, I don't, I'm not doing this. Like I refuse. And then this, this, they're starting to get in a confrontation. And this woman, I guess who like runs the entire stand runs out. And she's like, she's like, do I ask to see your shoe size? No, I don't, you know, like we don't, ask for those i don't show numbers here at piazza vittorio like yeah it's like this whole thing it 
obviously because there is stealing and pawning going on like, right those in, people in if, if they if there was nothing shady going on there they would have just shown him the serial number the first time right for sure but back back to your point uh, yeah i think I, th- I mean i think at this like immediate post-war period uh it was like kind of prestigious to be a, a policeman or a police officer like at this point the war had been ended like this was as close as you were getting to being like a soldier more yeah or less. that makes sense And even, um, you know, we see in the scene in the police station where the camera kind of pans out the window and all those guys are piling into like the Jeeps and pulling away. And um, this is like the first part where I wish like the subtitles would kind of give some context. But like all the cars are labeled as these um, Chelere units, um, which uh, kind of evolved today into like. I guess like the SWAT SWAT team like unit of the police that kind of like riot control. But at the time, uh, like the Italians just kind of decommissioned all their military gear, stuff that had been left there by like like the their allies or like the Allied forces uh, in terms of like military equipment or vehicles were like commissioned into the police force. And those units were like kind of yeah, they like took all that gear and like took on that role. But like the day to day like beat cop like policemen that walked around the city were like kind of the only like line of law that like existed in these otherwise like rebuilding like corners of society um, where the government like wasn't really (laughs) being impactful at that time. Um, So I think people did look up to the police at that time, or at least they looked to them to like maintain a sense of, you know, it's, they had been in this war for so long that like people were just craving like structure yeah, and the government wasn't giving it to them. So like these local police forces kind of like took over in a lot of ways. I think that's some good context. I did find it striking, like just basically that the police didn't seem like they don't seem corrupt as individuals. Like, yeah, they, they do seem like they want to carry out the law, which is not in <laughs> which is not an unreasonable thing to assume about any police officer or, you know, just in general, any police force. But it just doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of the like feel of this movie. But I do think that you make yeah. some good points just about how society actually functions. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree, though. I think it also does just come across maybe almost even like a bit naive, like how much um, like how much faith Antonio like puts in the police. Like he's constantly like, I'll go get a police officer. And he thinks like that will solve his problems. Yeah. And maybe maybe uh, I don't know, maybe we're supposed to kind of feel this idealized sense about them early on because we really get just get bitch slapped into reality at the end of the film when the policeman comes and uh, like the big crowd is like uh warning him like hey man like we're like they're like this ain't gonna work like go get the police like it, yeah. it's not gonna help you yeah. and he like does it anyway or bruno does it the police officer and, like, tells him as much you know yeah the police and i feel like that's where we get like a more realistic portrait of right. uh, the police officer right um for sure so you know, they continue looking for the bike. Um, he later on, they see uh, the, the he recognizes the thief um, is talking to this old man. But the, the thief uh, runs away on the bike or, or bikes away. So seemingly it's his bike or just another bike. But yeah, he, he gets way, away he again. Boosts on him. Yeah, he gets away again. I think this is probably the part you're talking about where it's like clear the actor is kind of moving weirdly. Um, yeah it seemed like he didn't want to chase him that much like i've like if it felt like i like i watched him like kind of run after him a bit and then stop and i it it felt that was like a moment where like you didn't even try to catch him dude (laughs) like and i know that wasn't intentional i think that was just like him he already got hustled out the first time he's like yeah no i can't 
Um, but um, interesting trivia from this scene, actually. Uh, like just before that, when they're all hiding in the rain, like under the awning, and this like the like um, so th this area they're in right now um, is really near to the Vatican. Um, and yeah, so these okay. like this group of like seminarians or whatever like walks out and they've got like the the robes and the hats and everything and they're like standing next to them. Uh, one of those seminarians is played by Sergio Leone. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So I knew that he was involved. I knew that he was um, involved in helping uh, shoot this film. I think as like oh, an assistant. Really? Uh, oh, okay. Assistant that makes way more sense. But, I never knew that. I just knew he was in that scene. I didn't yeah, know he was involved yeah. in the film. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, but yeah, that that's awesome. I I loved that scene because it reminded me of, um, I don't know like what your experience taking public transit is for work, but um, like if you've ever been on the train, like here in Chicago, like being on the train, and maybe you're coming home from work and it's been a long day and you're just like tired, you're maybe trying to read a book or whatever, and like a group of like five to six like teenagers gets on and they're all like talking with each other and super boisterous and you, they're just like in your space and you're like can you shut up yeah like, now I'm that, that to get home. and like that, that usually doesn't bother like me because because uh i'm usually like blasting music through the speaker <laughs> of my iphone when that yes. happens so yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing that's very annoying on the train yeah um but yeah because antonio and bruno are just they've just gotten soaked in the rain um and bruno falls and and uh he's like gets uh, his he's pants so all dirty and the dad's like yeah. what did you do and he's like i fell he's like i fell <laughs> yeah. i fell and then he gives <laughs> so him a little good. handkerchief to wipe his little legs off with uh, i know so they they do find the old they find they get the old man who they're talking to who's mm -hmm. talking to the thief and they go to the church with him they kind of like yeah he's going to this church and basically it's interesting because we we kind of figure out we don't know a ton about this dude after everything but like he's just at the church and he's like i'm just trying to get a hot meal so the church yeah. is serving hot meals to the homeless but there's also like i i found like an interesting thing in that scene as well where um you know nothing was really said but i i felt the tension where you had all these homeless people in the church who just really are there for survival. Right. But like mm -hmm. you still, you have these really well-dressed younger, nicer looking people in charge of running the church, mm -hmm. handing out pamphlets. And there's this imbalance, there's this power imbalance. And you see like that they're maybe trying to take advantage of these people a little bit in some form or fashion. It's, it's a little complex uh -huh. because they obviously are feeding them. And I, you know, I'm not trying to, talk too much shit about the church but it it definitely comes across in this scene where they are they're a bit um uh it, it's like it's like the appearance of helping people versus actually helping people yeah no you know what this was something i wanted to bring up and i totally forgot about um i think this is kind of like a minor like visual sub theme in this film is like this kind of stark contrast between like all of the suffering working class people in italy and like sort of the middle class that is like getting by okay and we see this a few times and um when you like look back for it uh it's so like visually striking in the film we see we've seen it a few times already right so the the first time we see it is immediately at the beginning when the guy from uh the, like the government labor organization or whatever is handing out the jobs he calls yeah. up antonio this is like the first minute of the film right and he's looking down on this crowd of like dirty 
uh, working class guys who are in like filthy suits with like dirty hats and like curly hair. Yeah, and are all like jiding at him and like yelling at him. Like, yeah, and yeah. he's he's literally like physically bigger than them because he's fat, which is like obviously <laughs> a sign of like he's well to do. He has enough to eat. He's yeah, chomping yeah. a huge cigar. He's wearing glasses, like these nice clean circular glasses. His hair is slicked back, and he's the one handing out the jobs. And not only that, but he's physically dominant over them because he's standing on a staircase above them. Yeah. The, the next yeah. the next time we see it is at the pawn shop, right, where this guy's wearing this clean suit. And, and at this time, there's a physical barrier between him and the rest of Rome. Yeah. There's a counter between him and a window uh, right. that, like, closes off the rest of the pawn shop. Uh, and, yeah, we'll continue to see this uh, theme a few more times. But this is just another time where we see it in the church is when these sort of young young people that are running this event are, like, very well-dressed. They're, like, <laughs> like these homeless people are coming in, and they're literally making them, like, cut their hair and, like, shave their beards to make them look presentable before they even yeah. let them into the church. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, the guy who um, – it's uh, not like a priest but the guy who's like leading the service the prayer service whatever sort of um comes yeah, down like this or something like yeah he comes down the center aisle and like kneels on this pew and begins to pray and he's very well dressed and dapper and like in the background are all these homeless people looking dirty and like freshly shaven and they're like crammed like literally like shoulder to shoulder like hunched together like on these tiny pews and yeah. in front of all of them is this like well well dressed like clean like healthy looking guy leaning sitting on his own he has a whole pew like to himself that he's like kneeling on <laughs> in front of all of them <laughs> this is like another this is just like another time another another example of that like harsh like stark separation between those middle class italians and like the suffering working class this is like this church scene is so great because like i you you went to the catholic school right correct no? yeah yeah so yep. like there's just all these little things about like being in church and people distracted and what's going on that yeah just felt so classic to me and like the number one thing is when they're Do you recognize the-, the music when they were walking in I don't remember I what it was. But but... I'm sure it's some, yeah, some classic <laughs> hymn or something. But like, yeah, um, uh, the most, like, just the most, the thing I just laughed out loud at is in there. And I think it's supposed to be funny too, but like having related to this, like, they're in the back of the church and they're kind of chasing after Antonio as he's harassing this old guy to try yeah. to like take him back to the bike thief. Um, yeah. But everybody who crosses the, crosses the center aisle, like, kneels down and does the sign of the cross. <laughs> like, yeah. I just remember, like, in school and you'd cross from one side to the other, like church is not even in session. And you're like, Oh shit. Like you gotta like, I like uh-huh. in the middle, like oh, I gotta get down and kneel. And it's yeah. like, everyone does that in like quick. It's especially it's really funny, funny that it's already ingrained in Bruno too. But yeah, it, you're, yeah. it's hilarious how they're kind of like, it's almost like this physical chase scene and they're like yeah. quiet. They're like also like having this like kind of aggressive argument where they're sort of yelling at each other but they're like whisper yelling because they don't want to yell they don't want to disrupt the service and they're like physically chasing each other back and across the aisle and they'll like stop like everything they're doing to like make the sign of the cross before they move to the other side yeah it's it's pretty good yeah the whisper yelling in church is also something i'm I'm like fairly familiar with for sure yeah um it it is interesting like you said that that is ingrained in bruno because i wouldn't like expect them to be um church going i don't know just uh, once again i guess so you have to i mean obviously italy is very at the time even was was very catholic right um it's interesting actually the the these these films like some some of the people the directors involved with these films and over the next 20 years like italian cinema and um like uh like directors and authors will be sort of the first italians to start um sort of trying to bring um either like uh 
just like secularism or like outright atheism, like into the, the Italian public view. Even today, Italian is a pretty Catholic society. Um, yeah. I think that young, young people in Italy are sort of following the less religious trend that's happening more or less worldwide. But at that time, uh, you know, like even poor people would have found a way to like go to church or have some kind of. Uh, well, and I mean, like, it's it's a, technically a separate country, but it's the home of the headquarters of the Catholic Church. So, I mean, right. like, in that yeah. sense, too, it, there's there's a reason. Right. But, yeah. And um, and uh, basically all the scenes in Rome take place pretty in pretty close proximity to the Vatican. They're sort of all scattered around that area. Yeah. And that would be a similar time in the, in this movie, too, when they're when they're at that church and, and nearby. So, um, yeah. So they do get an address out of the old man for the for the bike thief, but um, not a whole lot else. And they um, they yeah, great cost too. <laughs> yes, and they end up by the river, and like two two really significant things happen in a row. One is that um, he is uh, Antonio goes off to look kind of by himself. He's just down by the river, and then there's all these people yelling like, "There's a boy drowning! There's a boy drowning!" And, and he's like slowly, slowly starts like realizing and running over and he runs to where the drowning is happening. And like, of course, once again, just like really well done the way that, you know, what's happening in his mind, but nothing really has to be said. Like he thinks that his son Bruno fell in the river and he's drowning, but yeah. they pull the boy out. It's somebody else. And then like he turns around and he looks back up the steps and you see Bruno and it's just yeah. so well done in this really heartbreaking it is. way. Yeah. You feel everything that's going through his mind in terms of like, I'm so wrapped up in this bullshit chase for my bike that like, I'm not even paying attention to my son, which is the most important thing. And like, if you spoke that in dialogue, it would feel corny and stupid. But like, when you just do it in a scene like that, it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know, something that caught me in this scene, and I, I feel like I'm really uh, overanalyzing this, and this probably isn't what the Seeker was going for at all. Um, but it fe- it seems cool, and I feel like it fits in, so I, I'm just going to say it anyway. Something I noticed in the scene was, so so they're, they're trying to find the old man who somehow, this nimble old motherfucker has eluded them yeah, yet again. Yeah, get out of there, yeah. So, and, but, so Antonio's like, all right, Bruno, wait on this bridge here. I'm going to go look for him, yeah. right? And so he heads off, and we, we kind of get this really, like, long shot um, of Antonio, like, walking down alongside the river. And he's walking away from this bridge that he's at Antonio wait on, which um, when you, like, see... Uh, when you see it, it's clearly like a, a, a recently built, like modern bridge. Like it spans the entire, it like spans the Tiber. Yeah, it looks like new. Fully, there's no bright, arches. White. Yeah. And then as he, as it turns towards him and he's walking down the river, you can just see him walking in the direction. And like the, the next bridge down is like this very old stone, bro, like obvi- clearly Roman like bridge crossing the river that has like eight arches just to support it all the way across. Yeah. And it just felt like, I don't know, I feel, I've, I, I feel like I, there was another point in this movie where I picked up on this like sort of visual theme. I can't remember what it is now, but it very much felt like Antonio was trying to like stay or like cling to the past or like move toward this like old Rome. And like he's constantly being pulled back in and drawn towards like the inevitable march of progress, like toward that new bridge. But yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if that's true. Anyway. Well, well, Antonio, it, yes, yes. Modernism in the sense like, like Antonio feels like a very like classic old fashioned man yes. with traditional morals. And he, he 
he is overwhelmed by this modern world that steals his bicycle and leads him to steal a bicycle. Like, yeah, I do think that there there is a clash of like, uh, I don't know what you even want to call it. Traditionalism versus modernism. That is, mm-hmm. is kind of central to like his character struggle. So, yeah, I, I think the end of the war also just forced most European countries to, to start changing. It, it's funny because I do think that that's a good point just visually, but also like, I feel like you'll think that stuff and then like you learn that the truth is like Deceit was like, oh, we liked the new bridge. We wanted yeah. to put the new bridge in the movie. So like, uh, like it was our like, last day of shooting and the sun like, was setting. So better, we had to turn the like, camera the other way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But it is cool that you get to see like both of those in there. Yeah. I, I just, I, I love everything about like these documents of stuff that's shot on location. Like, you could see what shit really looked like, you know? Yeah. This, uh, um, that actually, that just reminded me, uh, something I forgot to mention earlier on, but something I love in this movie that is just totally lost unless you happen to pick it up, uh, by hearing it. Um, because they, they never, they, they actually don't translate in the subtitles, which is, uh, we're introduced to Antonio as Antonio when the guy who just, just reads his name off the sheet. But then when, when we meet his wife, um, who's one of only two people to ever call him by his name is his wife and his friend B little B the garbage man. Yeah. Um, and they both refer to him as Anto, which is like this really, it's like just a common nickname for Antonio in Italy. It's like a, it's sort of endearing like little nickname. It's like Tony here, but okay, they, they okay. always refer to him as Anto, which I just think, yeah. I don't know. It's like, so I, it's like, it makes you realize even more that like, these are people that are close to him. And yeah, um, I feel like that kind of changes how you view him as a character, but that's not like put into the subtitles. Like they just say Antonio, even though that's not what they call him. I oh, was kind of, I was kind of yeah. butthurt about that. Yeah. Right. Because you, you would think that somebody just reading the subtitles could, you know, infer if, if you just put Anto in the subtitles, like, Oh, like that, you know, yeah. That, I, I have I faith in it. our it's viewers. Nickname, I think like... they would figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so immediately, so, you know, his son doesn't drown. He's extremely grateful. And he kind of has this moment of just like, um, uh, say la vie right there. And he's like, mm-hmm. you know what? Like, hey, are you hungry? Let, like, let's go buy a pizza. Let's like, let's yeah. have fun. Let's get drunk. And he it, says it, he says it out loud. What does he say? He says, uh, something about, he like looks through his wallet or something. He's like, He's like, I, he's like, I'm, I shouldn't, might as well not worry about dying. I'm gonna die anyway. But he basically yeah, says yeah, like, yes. I, something, something like, you can't. He looks through his wallet. He's like, can't take it to the grave, baby. Let's go get a yes. pizza. Like, he basically is like, fuck it. Like, I'm stressing out, and like, I might as well just enjoy this day with my son. He, this is the point where where Anto gives up. <laughs> For sure, it's great. I, I mean, the restaurant scene is my favorite in the movie because there's like yeah, so much happening. Yeah, let's break it down. So, so they walk in. And um, there's music playing, and like you said, like like Antonio is just like really high spirited. Like we haven't seen him before. He's just like ready to party, basically. Yeah. Um, they take a seat at the table, and there's already some like there's already some conflict because like uh, he has to really urge his son on. Like his son doesn't know what to do. Like for all we know, this might be the first time his son's ever gone to like out to eat. Like I don't know. It's hard to yeah. tell, but it's like his son he, is like he definitely doesn't. He's he, the like using a fork and knife seems pretty foreign to him. 
Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, but you can't, this you can't is this it. is this is and this is this is the next in a long line of scenes where we see like even like even at this time like being a waiter in a restaurant, like being a waiter in a restaurant in Italy today even is still like a pretty prestigious. I mean, it's it's not. Uh, yeah. It's definitely like more prestigious than being a waiter in a restaurant in America, in America. or something. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of training that goes into it, and going out to eat is like much more of a of a thing and a process. Um, but we see okay. we see again this sort of like this uh, dichotomy, right? Where they're they're dirty uh, working yeah. class dudes sitting down at a table, and the waiter comes up and he's he's standing over them. He's tall. He's clean. He's wearing this white jacket and hat, yeah. and like they're just like such a stark contrast between the two of them. Yeah, and so Antonio sits down. And he said, "Let's you know get drunk." And um, <laughs> yeah, he says, "Let's get yo, let's get drunk to his seven year old kid." <laughs> yeah, I know. And so they get a pitch. So he he promised uh, Bruno a pizza, but they don't have pizza, or at yeah. least, or at least they're not offering pizza to them. I was confused. No, so by this that. is yeah. So this is this is this is uh, like a very I think important like cultural moment that shows us something about Antonio and Bruno, which is that at that time, pizza would have been. Uh, not something like that. Like today in Italy, you can go out to a restaurant and like sit down and order like a really nice pizza that you would eat with a fork and knife. Like that's definitely not what they're talking about though. At this time, like pizza was still something that was made like on a street stand that you would grab like and eat standing up on the street and very much considered like a peasant food. Okay. Um. So they're going in there and they're obviously, obviously they're like, yo, pizza's fucking dank. Let's get some pizza. And this yeah. like waiter at this nice restaurant is like, we don't serve like basically what he meant to say was like, we don't serve dog food here. But I like see. what he said I was see. like, we don't have pizza. Like obviously I don't have pizza. It's a nice yeah. restaurant. Pizza is a street food. It's like going to a restaurant and trying to order a hot dog or something. That is some, that is some interesting cultural context. It's like totally backwards from what I was thinking was happening. But it's also interesting to me because like, is a mozzarella sandwich really that classy or is it like, that's all that, that's all that, they can afford at the nice restaurant basically yeah i think i don't know maybe that that kind of like threw me a bit too i don't know about the history of mozzarella sandwiches <laughs> i mean uh yeah like it like paninos have I mean, a long like history a cheese, like <laughs> <laughs> right yeah paninos like have a long history in italy but i always kind of lump them into that same sort of like street food like eat like i, I feel like there's a strong uh difference in italy between food that you eat standing up and food that you eat sitting down in a restaurant like that's always mm. been a pretty strong cultural divide there I, w- I wouldn't have a guess that a mozzarella sandwich would work after they failed to order a pizza though so i don't yeah i don't i don't know the the context of that one yeah i assume so i assume you're right that it's just sort of the most basic cheap thing that would be acceptable for them to get because i think <laughs> exactly i think because i think that um antonio suggested after the pizza shot down Correct. Um, yeah. So they He's get like, mozzarella right. sandwiches and uh, and a pitcher of wine. He's like, if your mm. mother could see you drinking wine, like, <laughs> it's just yeah, like, it's so great. It's like this father son day out. Like, um, but of course the kid is just uncomfortable in this whole thing. He's like, what are we doing? And there's this there's other family who's like dressed really, uh, really formally and really well. And there's this boy with like this coiffed hair and like yeah. he keeps making eye contact with Bruno while he's eating and like while he's eating his like Cornish hen or whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and the father Antonio is just like, don't pay attention to them. Don't worry about it. And he was like, he was like, to dine like them, you need like a million lira a month, basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, but of course, like this catches up with him too, where like 
Antonio's like mid bite or like cutting his food, and he just like suddenly loses his appetite. That's like so, it's so good. Sandwich down, yeah. I know. Yeah, he puts it down, and then Antonio's like, "No, no, no!" Like you can eat, and he's like, "Oh, thank God!" You can tell Bruno's like just such a good kid, and he's like so right. self aware. Like right. Antonio is like lamenting like their misfortune, and he's like. I don't know. It's almost like something in Bruno's like, maybe if I don't eat this sandwich, it will save us like a bit of money this month. And Antonio's like, yes. no, nah, just eat the sandwich. He's like, oh, yes. thank you. and then he just starts scarfing it down again. It's like such a powerful moment from like a fucking kid who's never acted anything before. Well, and it's also <laughs> but I think like, that's it, that's like it, it, what makes neorealism great is like these people aren't actually acting right. They're just doing it. Yeah, yeah. They're not thinking and, about it <laughs> as much it, as it's an so much actor more might. like expansive too than just what we're talking about because that's I think it's like obviously eating is is something that like everyone has to do to survive but then like going further and like the idea of eating out and like dining out eating something nice is like such a um uh it's it's kind of like a luxury but i think it's also like a human right in some ways it's like it's something (laughs) that like dining with other people and like and like enjoying your food is like such an important thing in society or like in life and it's just like the fact that they can't even like enjoy this one thing in peace, I think is just like really telling. And it's like <laughs> when he is, uh-huh. when he is in the middle of eating his food and, and ordering and stuff, like he literally has no care in the world. Like he's forgotten everything. And it just like, it, it reminds me, I think, especially like in a time where I haven't been out to eat in whatever, 10 months because of the pandemic. It's like, yeah. um, How joyful that experience is. Like it, you know, people, go out to eat after working and meet up with coworkers or friends and they just, they drink and they laugh and they eat and they just like forget everything. You know, it's, it is really powerful uh-huh. and it's like, that's what yeah. is happening here. So that was, that was beautiful. Mike, when you said going out to eat with your friends as a human, right? You became an honorary <laughs> Italian, I think instantly. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I'm just wistful, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, yeah. so I love that scene. I, I think it's the best in the movie. Yeah, like, I, I agree. I think that is the best scene in the movie easily. Yeah. And so like really all that's left to happen is he does he does go close to where this guy lives and he finds him, the, the bike thief. Um, mm-hmm. He finds the bike thief. He confronts him. And um, the people on the street are starting to notice, right? Like the people in his neighborhood. And they're like, hey, leave yeah. this guy alone. What are you accusing him of? So so when he when he finds him, the 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 scene that uh, DeSica lays out for us is one that is immediately one of, of pretty destitute poverty, right? We we find out that this dude lives in a tiny apartment. We'll, we'll see his apartment in a second. But we, what we do find out right away is that he lives above a brothel. Um, yeah. which I don't know. I don't know if that was like obvious to you, but uh, like, no, it took like, me a second, but I got it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's like this, this is another place where like this, like signage in the building gives a lot of context that isn't shared in the subtitles. But like, as soon as they walk in, there's a sign that's like no persons under 18 admitted. So you're already like, uh, something's up here. And then there's like another sign that's like paying customers, like with an arrow or something. And you're yeah. like, okay. And then there's like a sign, like absolutely no weapons beyond this point or something. It's like, it's like super weird and then you realize it's it's a brothel and he lives above it which is well they, obviously um, not a not a good place to live <laughs> obviously like those signs will help but like i for me they they basically um they're very curious about what antonio was doing inside they mm-hmm. said this is the finest house in town which right to me sounded like something and it yeah. was all women there and the fact that they didn't right. want the police there yeah they, I, I, and I they, yeah they don't the want the dots, police they don't so. want any trouble yes yep 
but you're right you're right because in some movies um some like foreign films too will will do the subtitles for important signs yeah um, i don't think they're i don't think they break the film at any point but they do i think they do offer some interesting like additional context in this movie oh yeah it'd totally. be nice to have them but i like yeah i i think that the visual storytelling is so good that like you're not missing out by not knowing what stuff says. Yeah. And it doesn't happen very often. Actually, there was like one other point where it came up that was just kind of like gave context that you can see visually anyway. But when they go into the church, you can see there's still a big sign above the church door that says infirmaria, like in uh, infirmary or like hospital because churches were used as hospitals during the war. Oh, okay. And like yeah. you see that sign is like just they haven't taken it down yet. And you also see when they're leaving the church, like there's all these angel and saint statues kind of like haphazardly piled up in the corner by the door because they haven't put them back in the church yet. Like right. those are so like you get a bit of both there, right? You like get the, well, and the that's literal all, those sign. Are, those are things that are real too. Like those are yeah. yeah, they still have that banner up because it's 1948. Like <laughs> right, yeah, but like that's a scene where like you get the real sign, but like even if you don't know what it says, like you on the way out, you like get the visual that stuff has been jumbled around and they haven't restored order to it yet. So yeah. it still works out in both ways. Yeah. Um. So, uh, the the once again, like, uh, he's accusing this guy. He like has mm-hmm. a seizure or kind of fakes a seizure, or something like that. The bike yeah. thief. Um, but Bruno I, I know, right? Gets- it's, it seems it seems like he's faking it, right, to get out of trouble. But then, like, you never want to be the person who's like, ah, dude, you faked a seizure. Like, you can't accuse someone of faking like, a seizure. I wouldn't do that in real life, but I think because it's a film, I'm like, <laughs> okay. No, no, I know what you're saying, but I, like, as even as a viewer, I'm like, ah, like, I know, I feel like he's faking it, but like, can you? Well, I wasn't can sure you if tell- that was gonna end up being you the thing. Is like, you oh, can't yeah, ask someone if they're the faking a seizure. He, yeah. Um. Uh, Bruno runs and, and gets the cop who comes and basically mm-hmm. they search the apartment. You see the apartment where the bike thief lives and it's there. It is kind of this weird. Um, I, I don't know if it would be like full sympathy. Right. But it's like um, his mom's in there and he's like, she's like pissed about it. She's like, I'm cooking right now. Like, sure. Look around. Yes. We all live. There's five of us. We live in this one room. There's nowhere to hide this bike. Like, yes. Look this anywhere is, you need. Like she's this is just the annoyed. point where you re- where you realize that the the poverty uh, of the Ricci family you saw at the beginning isn't as bad as you thought uh, because they yeah. all have separate rooms. They have their own kitchen with a gas stove. Right. They have their own door, their own building. They have a, yeah. a key with a lock. They have, uh, you know, they have all the, they even had like their own linens they had to sell them, but they had them. And right. then we see the thief's apartment. Yeah. It's a family of four or five people. All their beds are in a single room. The stove is right next to the mother's bed and she's like heating up some water on it when the policeman comes in. And it's, she literally has built a fire under this pot, right? Which she's like fanning with a fan yeah. to like heat it up so she can boil water. And all of a sudden you're like, like oh shit like it's yeah that dude, it's, it's it, you feel you feel like a sudden like a reversal like you can you can at least understand why the thief was compelled to do what he did and yeah, you realize yeah. that maybe antonio isn't as bad off as a lot of other people and also like it it's interesting because i it makes me think like i want to like like, do we know more about Antonio and like what he did during the war and before the war? Like, was he a soldier? Like, did he, did he have a pretty good job before the war came along? Like, he strikes me as being in his like mid to late thirties, maybe 
maybe early 40s it's hard to tell exactly yeah but i i think i think like i don't know yeah like i don't think there are any clues or visual indicators of that anywhere in the movie but um i think it's like safe to just assume from, from a cultural standpoint like at that time like based on his age that he would have have, have been enlisted yeah yeah like any male that age probably fought in the war right right but i will say that like whether or not like he he has a better lot in life the movie doesn't really focus on that so it's like no. um that that doesn't become the focus but it is an interesting thing kind of in the background like yes definitely we do see a lot of people who are like much worse off than him and he he of course got the job in the first place mm-hmm. so yeah but what's interesting is is in this neighborhood where we see the worst poverty that we've seen in the whole film this is the one place where the community all bands together to defend one of their own yes for sure. Yeah, they're really tight knit and they basically drive Antonio out. And yeah, the when the cop officer, shows up, this is yeah. yeah, this is the guy we were talking about who basically says, "I've seen this all before. Like it's it doesn't matter what you saw or if you know 100% that this is the thief because mm-hmm. if you don't have a witness corroborating your story, everyone on this block is going to show up to the trial and say yeah. that he was at their house for lunch when it happened." Right? He's yeah. like they're all going to back him up. And like we we have not seen that sense of community so far. Definitely not in Antonio's community, where they seem, even though they're in a large this large apartment building, they seem very isolated and alone. We never really see anyone else who lives there. He doesn't seem to have neighbors or friends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and even the way that like he interacts with the opening in the opening scene with like you know, the other people looking for jobs and stuff. There's not like a big sense of community. There. Yeah. And look at the physical contrast too, right? There's even like the physically close nature of these apartments where the thief lives versus Antonia's building, which is sort of this outlying structure in the country that's physically far away from all the other buildings around it. Right, so right. It's yeah, like this open, like suburb, isolated like, area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he doesn't, that that's unsuccessful. And um, basically they they wander about town a little bit more and they end up outside of the soccer arena. Um, and so I think they go back to see the, the fortune teller lady first, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, so th- I, don't, I don't think this is I, really, really important. The, like, I didn't really need the fortune teller in this movie. Like, no, I don't feel what, like it what added I think, a lot. What I think was interesting is that, um, she seems very mystical the first time we see her. Cause we, we don't yeah. actually, really like see her in action or hear a lot we don't know what she's about we just know that she seems to predict people's futures and people are willing to line up and pay her to do this and antonio yeah. uh, dismisses this as like rubbish the first time he's there he's like yeah. he tells maria he's like why are you wasting your money on this come on let's go and then he's at such a low point that he decides to go back there right and but what we find out is hilarious because basically she's like she's it's she's like dear abby right she just she yeah. she just like we we actually get to see her in action she goes through like a a couple of clients and then does antonio and like she's just giving them like very like the obvious practical <laughs> advice like the guy's like what i what do i do she, she goes like what is it today what's it what's it today bartolomeo whatever his name is yes and he's like my wife or blah 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 and he she's like she does or my girlfriend whatever and she's like Listen, she doesn't fucking love you. Go find a new girl. And yeah, she's like, you're ugly. Pursue, she's like, she calls him ugly, she right? She calls him ugly, yeah. She's like, you're very ugly. You're too ugly for her. It's not going to work out. She doesn't love you. Find another girl. We're like, okay, harsh but fair. Yeah. And then Antonio goes and she's like, uh, he's like, well, I find my bike. And she's like, if you don't find it immediately, you won't find it at all. 
very practical advice. For and sure. then on the way out, um, <laughs> we like we don't see it, but we hear coming from the room like some woman like sits down weeping, and she's like, "What is it to this time?" And the woman's like, "My husband, he, he won't stop drinking." And she's like, "Well, stop giving him money, sweetheart." And it's yeah, like, "Okay, you're not a fortune teller at all. You're just telling people she's the like obvious practical she's advice like... that they need to hear." <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was a kind of a funny reveal. <laughs> no, you're right. And also it like, yes, exactly. Like there's for some reason people still put all this faith in her, but she's like, she's kind of like ripping them off a little bit. And yeah, she's there, definitely that, getting paid. <laughs> there's that like religious mystical element to it. And it yes. made me once again, I already mentioned La Dolce Vita, but like it, it reminded me of, of the whole sequence in that movie with, the um the kids and the miracle that's happening is like the, they're seeing the virgin mother and people are brought all around to like be healed basically but um of course it's like of course it's done in this way that is sort of like showing that like these kids are just like you know for whoever for their parents or whatever are just like really good at doing their job and acting and, and making money and making right. this commotion or whatever happening and it's just like <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that a little bit as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, so, so they end up after, after the fortune teller, they end up at the soccer arena and like, mm-hmm. um, they're just kind of sitting down and <sighs> Antonio gets up and he's pon- walking around and he sees all the bikes, um, just like sitting there, like yeah. a ton of bikes, but then down the alley, he sees yeah, a he single sees bike everywhere too. And there's, there's like a scene here that I feel like cut me, kind of hard and i don't know it, it seemed pretty intentional but um like a bunch of cyclists like quickly ride across camera like cut momentarily cutting us off from from An- antonio and bruno and yeah. they're like they're like competitive cyclists like they have like the the suits on and like yeah. cycling yeah. shorts and it's like you just get this moment where you're like damn like this dude is just desperately trying to find his shitty 1935 fetus bike so he can go to work tomorrow and feed his family. And like these dudes are like just like zipping by like on a bike ride for fun on their day yeah, off yeah. on Sunday. Right. <laughs> yeah. For but sure. yeah. Anyway, back to your point. Yeah. He's like, no, seeing it's the all same contrast. Bikes. It's it's the ex- exact same contrast with the people at the football game. Uh, yes. We, and, yeah, actually, the whole day, right? We see how all these other people are spending yeah. their time off the- on Sunday having a nice day. And he's like desperately struggling, floundering. Right to find his bike to basically save his life and like he's constantly surrounded by other people like having a good time like chilling on sunday and it just like it's like i view everything through the lens of covid right Mm -hmm. now but it like it reminds me of of the debate or the conversation around like people who are complaining that they can't go eat out at a restaurant versus people who have lost loved ones to to this illness and people who have lost their jobs and have lost lots of money and it's like it's like we we exist in those same world. Like if you go on Twitter, you could be in any different number of like financial or situations and you have to see people complaining about first world problems, right? Like Yeah. Um it, it's the same thing here where it's like you have like just the idea of like having to exist in a society where you like are feel compelled to have to like hide your your problems even as real and as um like tangible as they are because you're in the middle of a crowd of like people you know going to a football game it's like once Mm. again actually like thinking about covid like we have people going to literal football games in america (laughs) like yeah yeah Um, no that's uh, that's a that's a really 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I, you made a couple interesting points there. The first one b- before you went off on that was uh, like the stadium, which I he I think uh, Desika like sets up such a like a beautiful angle of the stadium, like this oh, old totally. it's the old municipal stadium in Rome, um, which I don't think exists anymore. But that's where like the World Cup in nineteen whatever thirty four whatever was held. But yes, yeah, this old like brutalist stadium, and he finds like this one angle where you can see sort of over a break in the wall, and like you can see so just a little you can bit see of the Antonio crowd. and the all the people in yeah. the stadium. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's, yeah, really, I, it's really good. It's just like he, they're being kept out and you see just enough to show yeah. that there's a crowd enjoying themselves. And it's like, yeah. And yeah. then he's like sitting on the curb, like trying to like contain everything and not like reveal to the world, like what he's feeling, which is now like the, almost like the final form of what he's been building up this whole time. Right. Which is that initially he didn't tell Bruno that his bike was stolen. He told him it was broken. And yeah. then he drops off Bruno at home and he goes out to try to look around for the night, like real quick. Because he he doesn't want to go home and tell Maria either, right? right. And now he's right. at the final form where he's he's held, he's kept it from his son, he's kept it from his wife, and now he's just trying to keep it from the entire world and society around him. And I mean, it's deeply shameful because, like, it's like you said, like you were making fun of, like, oh, like he's he sucks at his job, but it's like he kind of <laughs> like he like he wasn't he does, prepared yeah, he for this. Like job. he he was naive. Like he got his bike stolen because he wasn't careful enough. You know, like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like bike locks didn't exist at the time or whatever, well, but like, <laughs> I, I think it's also, we're also just meant to feel that like the, the world, the, like, the world of post-war Italy is, is harsh and people have to lower themselves to things like stealing a bike just to get by. Like there, there's a certain amount of naivety and carelessness on his part. That's for sure. Yeah. But also the bike is like basically leaned against the wall right beneath him. Right. Like they basically steal he it has from it under his nose. Like, they're very, like, shameless thieves, right? They're not, like, picking a lock on a rack and taking a bike, like, while someone's inside a store or, like, whatever. They're, like, literally grabbing it, like, while... He, like, sees him grab it. Like, he, he yeah. yells, ladro, ladro, as soon as he grabs it. And it's, like, he's literally, like, grabbing it, like, and making eye contact with him at the same time. And then he just zips off on it. It's, like, such shameless thievery. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I, I do think that, like... um I I do get the feeling that like when Antonio is standing up and looking around that like truly this is the first time that he's actually thought of doing this like I don't just the way that it's shot and everything yeah. I don't get the sense that he's even considered like stealing a bike until now. No, I don't think so. I feel yeah, like and so, I, as an audience member, thought about it like halfway through the film. Like, dude, oh, you yeah. should just steal a bike. But like, look at all he, of them. <laughs> this is the first time that he's thinking of it. Like, yeah, it is. I, I think so too. And yeah, so like specifically what you're referring to, you like kind of reference it uh, probably before I interrupted you a couple minutes ago. But yeah, he basically he's outside the stadium. He sees all these bikes, but he sees like this one lone one down an alleyway where no one is at right yeah and he starts pacing back and forth and like looking up and looking down and thinking and like as an audience as a viewer it becomes obvious to you really quickly oh he's he's fallen so low now that he's thinking about stealing this bike and what i love about that scene is it's like i don't know like two and a half minutes long like he paces back and forth so many times and like it really starts to like weigh on you as the viewer like you feel like you start considering it right you're like yeah at first, you're like, okay, finally, he's thinking about stealing a bike. And then after, like, a minute of him pacing back and forth, you're like, 
Like, you have to start thinking about the implications. You're like, what does this make him if he sells the bike? No, you're right. And like, you're like, whose viewer, bike is you that? You just want him to, sell like, his, to solve his problem. But, like, like what if as that it goes dude, on longer, you're like, fuck, dude, maybe you shouldn't steal the bike. Like, what if what if the guy whose bike that is needs his bike for work? Like, this is yes. just perpetuating the problem. So, like, at the end of the day, I'm, like, still Team Antonio. But, like, you know that this is this is, like, not... <laughs> like this is just no. If anything, the, the, it feels like, like you should have stolen of... like bike parts from the the um, Piazza Vittorio, like like from the from the thieves. Like it's like you know mm-hmm. that these people are dealing in thievery, right? Like right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but you're right. I think that's a great point about the the length of time because then by the end of it, you're like shit, dude. Like you shouldn't do that. right. You would like that that scene would never wouldn't even be like a fraction as long as that in like a movie that movie if it came out today right they they wouldn't show him pacing back and forth for two minutes like that would right. never happen right. but like right. it feels so powerful in this movie because it makes and you the, start thinking I mean, the, one thing that we haven't talked about like at all is the music and how good the score is in this movie it's mm. just like especially like i think of it in this moment and it just kind of like like drives a pit in your stomach like it's just so yeah there's like so many moments of just like slow sad mournful beautiful music that's like it's like it's Mm -hmm. the type of thing that will be like parodied later on in terms of like mocking this style of like italian filmmaking it's like almost like being melodramatic but like yes so good but in this this case it's just restrained enough to not feel that way but i yeah i agree like some of the music uh like throughout the movie like it sounds so ridiculous to say until you actually watch it but like there are just certain points in the movie where this really feels like a horror movie or like a psychological thriller like when he first gets his bike back and you're like you know the movie is called bicycle thieves the whole time he has it you're like so tense like so many people walk by you're like oh fuck like is that gonna be the person that takes it and it's like so gripping and there's like always tense music when people are around and this is like another this is where like you know like he's about to do something that will like forever change uh like who he is as a person and the music is just making you feel worse and worse about it as time goes on and it's kind of crazy too because this is an hour and a half long movie and i think it takes about like 30 minutes in until the bike is stolen so like yeah it's obviously the key plot point that happens but it does take some time to happen in terms of like setting the stage a little bit so um yeah but yeah so so he does steal the bike he's immediately caught basically the people run him down and they're yeah, it's... And, and another key point here is that he sends Bruno away while he while he steals the bike. He gives him money to go on the tram, and he's mm-hmm. like, "Meet me, meet me at this place or whatever." He tries to, but Bruno either yeah. misses the train or like he like senses something's up, and he intentionally. I, yeah. I like it kind of. I don't know. Again, I don't know if this was like a thing where like this is a young kid. He's not an actor. Like, my sense watching it was, like, it looked like he could have gotten on the train, and he chose not to. I don't know if that's well, what yeah, I mean, they meant to portray, like, though. Part, part from his dad, you know? like I mean, it was... Ob- so, it's obvious in that three minutes where Antonio's pacing back and forth, it's obvious the viewer was about to happen. Yes. But it cuts to Bruno a few times, who's kind of looking up sketchily like at Like, he his might dad. know as well, right? I think like, Bruno knows that something is happening. Right, and I think... Right. I, like, I feel like he purposely misses the tram that he's supposed to get on it's so like to that point and... it's like kids are he's like kids are much smarter than we give them credit yeah for he's like worried like, about yeah. his dad too yeah yeah for sure and so of course and it's like i love i i think it's like everyone i think it's a really 
incredible shot but like when bruno first sees it like the camera pans past him and it's like this like horror realization on his face because he sees his father like being carried by this angry mob yes Um, right and we hear we hear that cry again that we've heard a bunch of times in the movie from antonio ladro ladro right but now it's a crowd of people yelling it at antonio as he like fucking rides away to no avail on the bike as all these dudes just easily chase him down and swoop on his ass. He doesn't it's so make interesting it that they shout thief because I feel like if, if somebody like gets their purse stolen or whatever, I'd expect them, I'd expect them to yell like help, help. My purse has been stolen. Help. But like, yeah, just the idea of like shouting and pointing thief, thief. It's like, it's it seems very, it feels very cinematic, like manufactured almost. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, if you, yeah. maybe that was a thing back back then in the day i don't know but yeah it feels like a movie thing like something yeah. that something that would never happen in real life that happens in movies but then this is a neorealism film so i'm like maybe what what is that what right it had to have been say? real right yeah, yeah i don't know <laughs> um so they uh they're talking about taking antonio to the police station but then yep. the guy whose bike was stolen he kind of looks down and sees bruno and how sad mm-hmm. he is and he's like it's fine just let him go so yeah. he has this moment of mercy for him Mm-hmm. And uh, the film ends with Bruno and Antonio walking through the crowd. They're both crying. And um, obviously, Bruno's ashamed of his father, and, and Antonio can't even really look him in the eye. But yeah. Bruno reaches up and grabs his hand. And, yeah, he does. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. But it's very sweet, and it's very yeah. sad. And it's just like, um, I, well, yeah. I, I, like I said before, I'd seen this movie before, and I remembered thinking it was good. But like, I was kind of surprised how um how much i like this movie again the second viewing like mm-hmm. i thought i knew everything i was in for and i was just like man this this shit really hits like this like <laughs> yes you know just everything yeah i mean here. i think an important note about the ending is that they, they don't just walk away from the camera but they walk away and disappear into the crowd of people that's also yeah. walking away in this beautiful you know symmetrical mirror of the way that antonio emerged out of the crowd of people at the beginning of the movie and so we're left with that i i think which is the really the overall um major theme of this movie is that this is the every man like of italy right now this is what's happening in italy you can relate to this this is like these are the people of italy this isn't like a specific like unique individual character like this is this is an Italian. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that ending is just such a gut punch. And um, I guess here we were, we were talking uh, before we started recording uh, about how many times I've seen this movie. And I'll reveal to you now that I saw it the first time uh, when I was uh, taking the Italian class when I was 15. And this is the second time I've watched it. And I don't think I'm ever <laughs> going to watch it again. It's too much. It's uh, just such a, it's just a below the belt, man. It's devastating. It's the most yeah. devastating film. I feel so fucked up after watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad. Yeah, man. I, I, uh, I, I think I get it in terms of like, yeah, not a movie you need to see a ton of times, but like I, you know, this like like i said before this is like an extremely beloved film it's just like yes it's often ranked as like the greatest film of all time or up there in you know like mm-hmm. critics polls in the top 10 films and yeah um i i think it just has had like a, a huge impact on on cinema and i would say like i would also say this is something i've talked about on this podcast before a couple times but like american audiences expectations for foreign films is sort of that they 
offer this like really sentimental story. And I would imagine that this film has like a lot to do with that. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is sort of the template and this is sort of like uh, the American audience's expectation for a foreign film. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think it is, it pioneered a lot of trends, not just in Italian cinema, but, but worldwide, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's like a really, I, I think everyone should watch it, but I, it's not a, it's not something you're gonna want to watch too many more times after the first one. Yeah, but I, yeah, would, I think it's yeah. more. I think it's more accessible than people would think. It's I like, mean, I never, I never took any like film classes or anything. Um, I would assume like is it this is probably like a film like I know like anyone who takes any film classes like they just smash Citizen Kane down your throat like right away. Is this like another film you like that if you like been in film classes, people show you? Cause my, my sense is yeah, like I, uh, a lot of people I, like have, have never don't like, I, I think most people like are at least aware of Citizen Kane. They've heard of it, even if they haven't seen it. I, I don't feel like that's the case with this movie, but I feel like yeah. it's like on equal footing with Citizen Kane. Like you're, uh, it, it's in interesting its that impact. you're bringing that up because um, if, uh, well, if anybody's listened this far into the podcast, they 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 deserve to know. But um, deep divers, you are uh, you're prefacing uh, next week's next week's film. So, <laughs> of course, I am. Yes, I know what it is. Um, as we know, uh, um, uh, Mank is a film coming out on Netflix this this week about the making of Citizen Kane, and uh, we me and another guest will be watching Citizen Kane and uh, discussing that film as well. So, so, but yes, you're right. I think I, um, I was a film student and I pretty sure I watched this film for my just general film history class, which kind of covered Mm. the entire, we just like went by decade. And I think these were the two movies that we watched for the forties. I'm pretty sure. Or at least like Citizen Kane, we watched in, in class in this one for homework or something like that. I I'm having, I'm kind of mixing it up now because I know that I took a film class in high school and we watched Susan Kane and that. So I don't, is that when, is that like what sparked your interest in, in film that class, the class in high school? Yeah. Or was was it before that? It was concurrent with that. Um, I, I do have a pretty vivid memory of going to see. So I, um grew up in South Bend, Indiana, and I it was during this film class and um on the University of Notre Dame campus there's like a movie theater, um, just like a college college movie theater essentially, but it's a little bit more educational. Um and they had screenings and they were showing Space Odyssey. So I went okay. to see Space Odyssey yeah. in the movie theater and that was kind of the moment that 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 sort of like spawned an interest in in film yeah. for me in like a okay. new way. But it was during that class. I think I actually went for like an extra credit assignment or something like that for that class and saw Space Odyssey. Mm. But it was awesome to see a movie like that in the theaters at that time because that's a little bit more commonplace for me now in Chicago where there are theaters that just show older movies. But like at the time, I think I was just kind of blown away by that idea because I'd just been used to going to like the local Megaplex and like seeing the new movies. And then I was just like, holy shit. And it's like, that was a cool movie to see on a screen. Like, you know, yeah, it is really cool. Right. That's really, that's cool. That's interesting to hear. Obviously we go ways back to our college days. Um, and I, I, I know that you're a Stan Lee 
Stan. <laughs> Stan Stan. <laughs> so it's like, cool to hear your uh, origin story beginning with Space Odyssey. Yeah, I mean, I would love to talk about that movie at some time. It's like once again, these are these are the movies that are so covered. You know, like, can I tell you? Can I tell you something? What? I haven't. I haven't. I've never seen it. I don't think a lot of people have seen it, and that's fine. No, like, um, that's okay. That's okay. I'm watch but, it. But the, I'm not a are, good. I won't be a good person to talk to about it. But you should do it on this podcast because I would love to listen to it and then hear you and somebody else who knows what they're talking about discuss it. Oh man. It. It it would be a long it might be a two parter it'd be a long episode. <laughs> well, listen, man, you you know what you, you, all the deep divers know what you said at the beginning <laughs> of the episode about <laughs> about my messages to you pre uh, pre pod right. I'm a day one. Yes, so you are I'm I'm one, with you truly. all the way. I'll listen to a three parter. Yeah, man. Well, well, you know we haven't done any Kubrick yet, but um, but. Is he I've on the Criterion stick, collection? I, I've tried to stick to the channel, and he at the moment I yeah, think he only he, has not one. On there? He only has one movie on the channel at the moment, which is um, um, Paths of Glory, which is a great really movie about huh. it's well, a how, World War One. Why film. do you think that is? Is he like? A, is it like a political thing? <laughs> I don't know. I would I would imagine it's somewhat political, but it's like um, it has to do with the rights or to these it, films. And yeah, I think like a legal thing. He, he's he's a pretty. Uh, He's a pretty like when it comes to classic film directors, he's almost a bit more of a household name, I would say, because his oh yeah films have more of that like pop culture appeal. Like when you think about The Shining and Full Metal Jacket, mm-hmm. um, and Clockwork Orange, you know, um, but uh, I, I I do think his movies are available on like they're they've always been like a little elusive on streaming because I just do think that like his estate has a lot of control over. Okay, but that makes sense. I just realized today that Eyes Wide Shut is on Hulu, and I haven't seen that movie in a while. And it's it's just it's I think because it happens during Christmas, a lot of people have been posting about it on Twitter, <laughs> hmm. and of course masks, just wearing masks, anything with that becomes a <laughs> right. meme. So hot right now. <laughs> um, so that is one I might have to revisit a little bit recently or pretty soon. So, um, but yeah, so you know we're we're we're. I was going to say that like I really like the movies that are not super covered uh doing those on the podcast because there's just there's not as much out there about them and it's kind of interesting to like construct that yourself. Yeah. But of course it's so fun to talk about movies like Bicycle Thieves and Space Odyssey because they yeah. they contain so much in them, you know. They're they're a guaranteed good discussion, so. Yeah, uh that's true. Um I, okay, so I'll. Uh, I guess not, now that now that I'm a uh, now that I've, I'm on the pod, um, I'll t- <laughs> I can I can reveal. I was pretty torn about this at first, actually. Once I saw the the collection, um, I just like looked at it online a while ago. Um, okay. Like before you sent me the the golden credentials. Um, yes. There there are actually a couple of Desika films on there, and I was really thinking about going with the other one, but I thought Bicycle Thieves will be much more interesting to talk about and the other one would be more fun to just watch but it's one of my favorite movies of all time um so if you're ever uh, um truly desperate again in the future and need to have me on as a guest um there's a great and and if not you should just watch it anyway but there's another great Desica film on there uh called umberto d and I don't know if have you seen it before. I haven't seen it, but I uh, it's heard it's of it, yeah. it's an even more simple plot than Bicycle Thieves, which is um 
it's just an old man and his dog try to survive on his government pension in post-war <laughs> Italy. And it just the whole movie is basically this guy and his dog. And of course, obviously, the dog is no help at all in <laughs> making money to help him. <laughs> but he just has this little dog that follows him around the whole time. Uh, it's great. It's kind of um, like also, <laughs> that, yeah, he's basically, yeah, it's basically Antonio and Bruno, except it's Umberto and Fiat. Uh, Fike, Filk, I can't oh, remember the dog's name. Fido? It's not Fido, it's something like, <laughs> like Flag or something, I can't remember. Uh, this reminds me, though, I need to now emphasize my argument for why uh, Bicycle Thieves, the correct translation is the superior title of the film. Oh, yes. When you just call it the Bicycle Thief, sure, it can apply to the original thief that stole the, uh, Antonio's bicycle or Antonio stealing the unknown guy's bicycle. But... What's more interesting is when the movie is called by its actual name, Bicycle Thieves, or technically Thieves of Bicycles, yeah. right? Because uh, going into the movie, you know that's the title, and you watch uh, as multiple thieves, right? You find out there are multiple guys coordinating this theft of Antonio's bike. There's the mm-hmm. actual thief, there's the there's like the watcher, and then there's like the misdirecting guy. And so you watch it and you think, oh, these guys are running a racket, right? These are the thieves that steal bicycles. And it's not until the very last scene of the movie where you realize, oh, no, actually, there are a lot of bicycle thieves in Rome, of which Antonio has now become one. And people are kind of doing this because they're so desperate. But you don't know until the end of the film that Antonio is one of the bicycle thieves. Yeah, That's why I think it's a better title. I agree. I agree. It's snappier. I like it. It's most importantly, it's the actual translation. So, you heard it here, folks, deep divers. It, uh, the man it agrees. Is, it is bicycle <laughs> thieves. That this matter has been settled. Um, Excellent, Pat. Thank you for suggesting this film. It was a great. Yeah, watch thanks for was, talking about it with me. It's. Yeah. I don't think I've ever talked about this movie with anyone, so it was very, very fun. Yes, and for great, sure. to, and great to hear the uh, perspective of someone who knows what they're talking about and knows I, about uh, movies because I don't know anything. I, I definitely like appreciate your knowledge of Italian cinema and Italian history. So like, I really feel like I'm going to have to have you come back and do a Fellini with me because you'll probably would open my eyes on a lot of things that I do not know. So, all right, let's plan on it when next time you're desperate for uh, for guests. Yes. <laughs> all right, deep divers. <laughs> all right, divers. All right, divers. All right, divers.